Hey, Browns fans. This is your chance to join the company of some of the Browns' all-time greats on the first-ever Browns fan cruise. Picture this. For five unforgettable days, you're sailing across the beautiful Caribbean Sea, reliving the Browns' greatest moments, getting autographs, snapping photos, and celebrating on the beach with your favorite Browns alumni, like Josh Cripps, Webster Slaughter, Eric Metcalf, and a dozen others. Book now and take advantage of our easy, budget-friendly payment plans on this once-in-a-lifetime, all-inclusive cruise adventure. The clock's ticking, Browns fans. To book your cabin and for more information, visit brownsfancruise.com or call 216-284-6472 today. Browns Fan Cruise, where diehard fans and Browns alumni come together for the trip of a lifetime. Don't wait. Secure your spot today and go Browns! For the Burning River Sportscast. Don't worry, friends. We knew it'd be back. That feeling when too many things are going just right, just a little too long. When the anxiety sinks away and you're feeling like this is going to be another great week. And then, right on cue, third and three happens. Two minutes later and everything you thought you knew, everything you thought you had, and everything you thought you wanted blows up right before your very eyes in the only way the Browns can. I've heard a lot of general anger and disappointment about the way this game ended. And my question to you, in all sincerity, is why? Look around you. How can you tempt fate? How can you cruise on bad decisions and unpreparedness? How long can you stare a problem in the face and not solve it and expect it not to bite you in the ass? Well, let me tell you, Cleveland, that burning mind, burning ass, burning when you have to pee, burning river feeling is your goddamn destiny, and you're the only one who can change it. And if you're not down with that, I got three words for you. Burning River Sportscast. How much does it cost you to get your oil changed? Uh, about a hundred bucks. About hundred bucks or so. It'd be like if you let a four-year-old change your oil and you gave him a hundred dollars. You said, "Well, I paid him the going rate. <laughs> Why did my car blow Why up? Why did he not do a good? Why job? did he not do a good job? Yeah. Every twenty-three years for twenty-three days, he gets the feast. Uh, that was badass. Well, especially when hasn't Mark Henry or Mark Henry? Mark Henry. <laughs> oh no, sexual chocolate is here. <laughs> ass, ass, ass. That's, that's, that's If you want ass. one way to describe Desmond Ritter, ass, ass, ass. Why does this surprise any of us? I don't know. This is what they do. It this is, is what this franchise has continued to put out for you every year since 1999. Whether it was the Learners, whether it was Jimmy and D. Haslam, it doesn't matter. It's the same shit, different day, every year with this team. As soon as they walk into Berea, they forget all common sense, and this just turns into a shit show. It's like, how bad can we screw this up week in and week out? How can we frustrate people all over the city? How can we be the worst part of their week? Because we'll be back. Because we'll be back. Welcome into the Burning River Sportscast, presented by Tapping Media and brought to you by Seaside Events as the official cruise event provider of the Cleveland Browns and organizer of the Browns Fan Cruise. I'm Kenny Thunder, sick as a dog, joined as always by my former first lady and the angriest man on the interwebs, Red Hot Ronnie Jams, and the big bone man on the board, the man with so much skin but only one big bone. Tell the people how it is. 
Uh, I cut my beard. I'm not very happy about it. <laughs> Feels bad. All right. Back to Red Hot. <laughs> Two questions. Yo. Who have you been itching to talk to about the Cleveland Browns fan cruise brought to you by Seaside Events as the official <laughs> cruise event provider of the Cleveland Browns and organizer of the Browns fan cruise? Who has brought to you today this edition of the Burning River Sportscast? <laughs> uh, any of the alumni that are coming with us, I'd probably say Dave Zastadil. That's a good choice. And number two, if you were looking for the exclusive podcast brought to you by Seaside Events <laughs> as the official cruise event provider of the Cleveland Browns and organizer of the Browns fan cruise, where would you find it? Yeah, oh man, yeah. You can find, well, first of all, I cut my beard too, and it feels not right. But, anyways, you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcast. I'm talking Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Pocket Cast, Castro, Good Pods, and so many more. And wow, I stumbled through that this week. That, that's not good, but not a good start to the show. Uh, but don't forget you. to subscribe on YouTube, the only place that you can find our video podcast. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Our handles for all of those and YouTube is at Burning River Sportscast. And we are on X, the artist formerly known as Twitter, as well, with the handle at Burning River Pod. And while you're at it and on the interwebs, as you so kindly mentioned a moment ago, uh, go ahead and check out our merchandise. You can find that at www.thetappinmedia.com backslash shop. We've got all kinds of stuff in the shop. The cruise line's there. The chub line's there. Uh, cold weather gear is coming. Cold weather <sighs> gear should probably... Be it should there. probably be here. Yeah, it's cold now. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure I get on that. But uh, make sure you check everything out in the store. We're constantly adding to it as time goes on. And as always is the case during Brown season, we have a big show for you today. Week 8 recap of the heartbreaking and incredibly frustrating loss to the Seattle Seahawks. An interview with the Northwest Tucson Browns backers. Uh, we've also got an interview with another Browns alumni that will be joining us on the Cleveland Browns fan cruise uh, in the second half of the show. You already mentioned him. Well, I mentioned him because I wanted to talk to him, and now here we are talking to him. We're talking to him. Dave Zastadel. Yeah. Uh, he also happened to play for both teams that are playing this week, so that's that's pretty cool. That is interesting. Um, and then finally, we have the Week 9 preview for that game against the Arizona Cardinals. That's some brilliant programming there. Let's see what I did? Uh, so I hope you're wearing an extra pair of underwear because we're about to entertain the shit out of you. Wow. <laughs> wow. Now, let's start things off properly. Let's get into the Burning River News Story of the Week. All right, everybody. So... <clears throat> For the first time in U.S. history, the average debt per U.S. citizen has surpassed $100,000. And to put that into perspective, the debt on this day in 2008 was $35,484. Yes, you heard that right. In just 15 short years, the debt per citizen in the U.S. has gone up $65,000. Uh, Kenny, Bone Man, you guys got anything to say about this? Um. First off, yes. So first off, again, I am sick as a dog and dying. So I'm going to try to preserve my voice as much as I can and say as little as I can. Good luck. This is not the topic for you to say just a little bit about. Be as impactful as I can. Um, $100,000. Are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Here's the thing. You said, we said, this is a new story of the week. The funny thing is, this new story exists nowhere. I only happened to see the U.S. National Debt Clock driving into work the other day downtown Cleveland, and I was like, $100,000? Wow. And I know that it just changed because I was amazed when I said 90, 95, or 98. Uh, so, uh, yeah, 100 is a lot, especially considering um, 
the debt was, I don't know, $8 trillion or something when we were in high school. So uh, taking it to the day, you're at almost $34 trillion uh, in U.S. national debt. And you look around and you wonder why um, the world around you sucks so bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you, you pretty much said it all. I think uh, Bone Man may have something to add there, but uh, Bone, you got anything? Well, regardless of the way you look at it, I mean, there's been presidents on both sides of the aisle since 2008, and the debt continues to rise. Oh, I mean, it don't matter. There's a lot of lip service that goes into it, but uh, I digress with that. But, um, I, yeah, let's add to it. Let's get into another war. It's just- <laughs> Let's just start another one. It's just amazing to me that every year this country brings in more tax revenue than any country in the history of the world. Uh, so I think to this year we're going to bring in like $4.5 trillion in tax revenue, $4.4 trillion in tax revenue. The budget is like $6.5 trillion. How do, we, how do we overspend by $2 trillion more tax revenue than has ever been levied against this country ever in the history of the world? I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's just wild. Like, how is that even possible to have that much debt per citizen? Like, how, how is that possible? All I know is that any country that has this kind of debt per person does, doesn't end well. Like, are we starting to see, you know, what do they always say about the biggest uh, uh, empires in the history of the world? Yeah, they tax and spend themselves into not prosperity. Into, into oblivion. Oblivion. And they end, they implode. They end from within. Yeah. And it seems like that's what's happening here. So I'm not. I mean, if you've wondered why things are more expensive everywhere you look, I mean, this is the this is the reason why. This is the reason why rampant inflation. But you know, like uh, like Bone Man so eloquently put it, I digress. Um, <laughs> and so with that, we're gonna go ahead and get into the week eight recap. <laughs> Okay, so the Cleveland Browns went into Seattle, and just when we think that maybe this Browns team is different, maybe, just maybe, this year's Browns team can get us over the hump. They remind us that nobody, nobody is better at stealing defeat from the jaws of victory than the Cleveland Browns. We lost this game 24-20 to despite having a 20-17 to lead uh, with just... What was it just it was like uh, two minutes? About two minutes left. Yeah, I think it was with two it's minutes like two left. Two. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so let's let's start as we always do with our opponents, the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, let's start with their offense. Geno Smith was twenty three of thirty seven for two hundred fifty four yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, two carries uh, for negative three yards, and then. Uh, he actually played pretty well. I, I, I thought Geno had a decent game. I mean, I know he threw two interceptions, but. Um, Eye test. I'm talking eye test right now. I mean, just looking at it, he actually seemed like he had a decent game. He had he had a good start and a good finish. And, yeah, and everything. Which are the most important parts of the game? Everything in between was kind of like very mediocre. But, yeah, this uh, is uh, something I just I just kind of thought about. Um, the way he got out of like sacks and just yeah. eluded our defenders reminded me of like Ben Roethlisberger, who just you could not sack <sighs> the dude in the pocket. He just somehow got out of it and made a play downfield. I felt like all game. Yeah. yeah, no, and that's a good point. There were several times throughout the game where I was like, I was like, oh, yeah, no, oh, dang, and he got away. <laughs> so um, I'm with you there. Um, but like I said, the most important parts of the game for a quarterback are the start and the finish, right? That's so, what was so frustrating because the pass rush was there. It wasn't like the it defense was, played yeah. bad. So no. it was just, he just got out of it. 
Yep. So uh, decent game out of Geno. Um, Kenneth Walker the third. This guy's name is cool. It's like your name mixed with my name. Uh, Luke Skywalker's name. Yeah, yeah. It's, he's got everything. But anyways, Kenneth Walker the third. Eight carries for sixty six yards. One reception for four yards. He played. Uh, he he had a decent game. I mean, he put up more, especially in the yards per carry. Uh, 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 stat category he did better against the Browns than most most players do. So. Look, he's no Nick Chubb, and I think he's been banged up a little bit too with like an ankle thing. So uh, maybe that's why he's got limited carries. But I think he's another running back that, like, for whatever reason, they just don't give him the ball enough to be yeah. super impactful because he was he was impressive in, in the limited action he got. Yeah, and then Kenneth Walker the third, not to be outdone uh, with his yards per carry. Like I said, that eight for sixty six. Uh, Zach uh, Sh- uh, Sharn. Is that how you say it? Sure. Uh, I thought on the radio they said Charmaine, and I was like, ooh, Charmaine. Samsonite. I was way off. But anyways, Zach Charnay, uh, five carries for 53 yards, so apparently we had no answer for that guy. Um, and then we'll just go down the line here for, with their receivers. Tyler Lockett, eight receptions for 81 yards and a touchdown. I keep waiting for this guy to fall off. I just don't understand. And, and for whatever reason, even though DK is the better, obviously the better receiver at this point, for whatever reason, the Browns have a ton of problems with Tyler Lockett every time we play them. It's it's frustrating for sure. But I just, yeah, he's just ageless. And he's not, like you say, he's not in the premier talent. Like, you don't go, who's the best wide receiver in the NFL? But this guy, Tyler Lockett. But this guy week no, in and week out puts up ridiculous production that um, I just, like I said, she waiting for him to fall off and he's just there every year. Yeah, I'm sure if you got him in like the fourth, fifth round in fantasy, you're probably pretty happy right now. Well, he's probably one of your top performers. Um, next up, DK Metcalf, five receptions for 67 yards, and then Jackson Smith and Jigba, uh, Ohio State boy, uh, he finally found the, I think this was his first uh, NFL touchdown, uh, three receptions for 36 yards and a touchdown, so no better team to do it for uh, or do it against than the team from your your state that not, you came from. As far not as only that, it was basically a walk off. I mean, oh, like yeah. twenty five seconds of the clock. Or oh whatever, yeah, but... um, and then uh, finally Jake Bobo, um, which great names throughout this game. I just want to point that out. We got Charney, we have Smith and Jigbo, we got Bobo, and then that's not even mentioning some of these guys that they were just randomly uh, rambling off on the on the broadcast. I was listening to this on the way home uh, from Halloween festivities, and I was like, man. The names on <laughs> in this game are fantastic. But anyways, uh, Jake Bobo, two receptions, 23 yards, uh, one carry for three yards, and a touchdown. So um, touchdowns all around, apparently, for their receivers, uh, except for D.K. Metcalf. He was unable to find the end zone. Um, their defense, three sacks, two interceptions, one fumble recovery. So their defense played pretty well against us, but it's kind of hard not to when we're playing with, you know, backup running backs, backup linemen, uh, third-string quarterback, you know, you name it. We, we're, we're not playing starters. Uh, real quick before we jump on, jump on to the next thing, um, just wanted to throw this out there. Um, you know, we talked about Tyler Lockett and how productive he's been. I think the stat came up at the beginning of this game that he's caught – you know, 35 balls for 350 or so yards, which is a decent pace, right, for about 1,000 yards for yep. the season. Yeah, yep. um, this week, um, Tyreek Hill became the fastest player to 1,000 yards in the season. You know how I know you don't read the show notes? Let's move on. <laughs> well, this was this was a before your show note even existed. This was my my show note. Oh, fair. I mean, think about that for a second. A thousand yards in eight games. These guys are pacing a thousand yards for a great season. He's got a thousand yards in eight games. Oh yeah, we'll what talk the about the hell. It. We're having a whole conversation about that soon. 
wild. That is wild. It's, it's one of the craziest stats I ever heard. But uh, like I said, their defense, uh, Seahawks defense, three sacks, two interceptions, one fumble recovery. So they played well against our backups, basically. Um, and then special teams, Jason Myers, one for one on his field goals and three for three extra points, uh, which will take us to the Cleveland Browns. And I mentioned we are, are playing still our third string quarterback. Uh, we'll start with the offense. P.J. Walker, 15, for 31, uh, 15 of 31 for 248 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions, six carries for 27 yards, and one fumble lost. Uh, look, here's the deal. I don't have anything against P.J. Walker. I actually kind of like P.J. Walker. I think he's he's played as tough as he possibly can. He was put in a terrible situation, um, and he's done the best that he possibly could. But here's the deal. P.J. Walker is not that good of a quarterback. Uh, NFL standards. He's not very good. So, like, just just why haven't we done more to to bring in a veteran presence? I mean, this guy has as just he's like a turnover machine. I think he's averaging three turnovers a game. Uh, he finally had one this game that ended up costing us the game. Um, and he was my guy to watch this week because, as I said last week, last week uh, the game will most likely hinge on if he can take at least a step and be better in this game. Um, and while he was slightly better and finally got that first touchdown, <laughs> he still had three turnovers in this game. Um, so we lost. Um, how much does it cost you to get your oil changed? Uh, about a hundred bucks. About a hundred bucks or so. It'd be like if you let a four-year-old change your oil and you give him a hundred dollars and you say, well, I paid him the going rate. <laughs> Why did my car blow Why up? Why did he George? not do a good job? Why did job? he not do a good job? Yeah. It's not PJ Walker's fault no. that he's not a premier talent in the NFL. He's he's a journeyman backup, and that's unfortunately, I think, with his ceiling. Um, he's probably better off in a spot play where he has to play one game in the course of the season as opposed to uh, six or seven. Yeah, um, absolutely. He's just not that good. So the, and the thing is, in any other Browns season, Maybe you get away with that because you don't have the expectations. You don't right. have this team around you that feels like right. it really could do something. But this defense feels like it's a generational type talent. Well, and that's that's the problem, right? Is we're we're completely wasting the efforts uh, put on not only by the defense but even the special teams. I mean, our special yeah. teams have been excellent this season. Besides running it, you know, trying to tackle punt returners uh, uh, when they're fair catching the ball and stuff like that. <laughs> they're the special teams have been fantastic. So we've got. Two of the three major facets of the game, and, we are dominating, and, was, and we still can't win games because our, our offense, and specifically our quarterback play, is so bad. And what's doubly frustrating is not only is that defense played out of their minds and the special teams has been good, <clears throat> you're missing Nick Chubb. Yeah, I get that. That sucks. You're missing Deshaun. That sucks, too. But you have other good players on this offensive roster. The offensive line is still very good. You have good skill position players in Elijah Moore and Amari Cooper, and... Look, I, I'm starting to become a Pierre Strong fan, and Kareem Hunt has been, I think, getting stronger and stronger every week. So, um, look, I, then David Njoku is is, is pretty special. Um, he is. So you're just you're not only wasting the the effort you're getting out of this defense; you're wasting the potential of this offense. Yeah. Absolutely. And so uh, moving on here, though, uh, with uh, running backs, we'll start with Kareem Hunt, 14 carries for 55 yards and another touchdown, another solid day out of Kareem. Uh, Pierre Strong, as you mentioned, 10 carries for 41 yards, one reception for 41 yards. Uh, so 82 total yards of offense out of out of Pierre Strong. That's phenomenal. Uh, Jerome Ford, nine carries for 37 yards. 
Um, so our running backs all played fairly well. I mean, none of them played poorly. And Getsy effort by Jerome Ford. I didn't think he was going to play this week at all. Well, it came out like like Thursday or Friday. Like they finally dreaded, said he's actually going to play this week. And he has it was, a dreaded low high ankle sprain. Uh, is that what they call it? The low high ankle it's sprain? A low, a low it's a high, high ankle, ankle sprain, but it's as low as it could be. Yeah. So yeah. I was surprised to see him play. And, and, you know, he wasn't great, but. You know. The fact that he got that much work is crazy, too. Right. Well, that's why I was really surprised was he got so much action. Um, and then with the wide receivers, Amari Cooper, six receptions for 89 yards. And you mentioned uh, David Njoku. Um, but we will get back to David Njoku. He had himself a decent day, uh, and we're going to talk about him more here in just a minute. Um, well, let's move over to the defensive side of things. Another solid effort. Uh Although pretty unexciting in this one. I'll say, you know, uh, it wasn't anything like prior weeks, I will say. They took a – I wouldn't call it a step back because they didn't play bad. But they just – like every other week, I feel like I'm like, oh, my God, this defense is so excited to watch. And this week it was just kind of like, yeah, they're they're doing their job. So – but they could they could not win the turnover battle again this week. Uh, But that's probably because our quarterback gave the ball away three times. Uh, but the, I still saw defenders swarming, bodies still flying all over the place. So, well, yeah, I mean, the thing is, for three quarters and thirteen minutes, this team really was in control of the game. They had a rough start at the very, very beginning. They went down fourteen quick. Well, and I, but, I, I I posit the I, I give the defense props <clears throat> there. Uh, they they were the main reason why we got back into sure. it is because they just got stop after stop after stop. 100%. So. And then once they did, though, that team, I, like, this was a Browns game that I was watching. I'm going, Kevin Stavansky is going to pull this off with an XFL quarterback for a third time in a row. I was I was confident about that yep. until we got to that third and three. Well, we'll, we'll get to that here in just a moment. Um, but, yeah, I just wish I just wish <clears throat> we had a little bit of offense to help these guys get some relief. Just wish we had a quarterback. You're yep. a quarterback away, right? Uh, but, obviously, uh, we always start with Miles Garrett on the defense because um, he's the heart and soul of that defense. Uh, he had a, a pretty quiet night. Uh, he was in the backfield quite a bit, but he wasn't able to get home very often. He only got the one sack, and it was the only sack that the Cleveland Browns had on the entire night, which I think actually – more props to Geno Smith for getting out of all the sacks yeah. than than really a knock on the Cleveland Browns for not getting home. Agreed. Um, and I will say for Miles Garrett, uh, I wasn't saying that as a negative on him. Uh, he had his that that sack came when we absolutely needed it the most uh, towards the end of the well, game. And there. I think it's like we always talk about, right? Like sacks are nice because they clean up a stat sheet, and you can go, "Oh wow, these guys had six sacks in a night or eight sacks in a night." A defensive line can make an impact on a game without having sacks um, by being <laughs> having sacks, by being disruptive, and forcing the the offensive guy, whoever is your matchup, to change what he's doing and do something different, puts him out of position, yeah. get in the quarterback's face, knocking him down. All those things don't show up on a stat sheet. But um but and, and that's a lot how looked at how this game went. I mean it wasn't like the defensive line played bad. Yeah. Um and Miles had his one sack, which is great. But um who did he come dressed as for Halloween? Uh, he came as the creature from Jeepers Creepers. Jeepers Creepers yeah. beating you the is the <laughs> is the bee eating you is the the uh, have you watched those movies? Have you ever seen them? I've seen Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, yeah so it's the 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 license plate on on the creature's truck. Yeah, every twenty three years for twenty three days he gets to feast. 
Jeepers uh, Creepers. You know a lot about the Jeepers Creepers. It's uh, my wife's least favorite movie of all time. She she like cringes every time she hears the song come on. So really, yeah. Just sing Jeepers Creepers to her one time. She's gonna be pissed that I'm putting this on air. But just sing Jeepers Creepers to her one time, and she'll be so mad. I'm just gonna start sending her Snapchat to see that. Oh man, I'm um, gonna be in big trouble. <laughs> um, uh, here's the thing, Miles. I don't know if you should celebrate Halloween anymore. It seems like every time we do... Every time we get to his Halloween party week, we lose. We lose in ugly fashion. And the highlight is always uh, Miles Garrett and all of his quarterback graveyard, and, and they lost costume, the game. And his, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, whatever. The players can do what they want. But, yeah, I don't think we've won a single game on Halloween weekend for... Oh, no. I take that back. Last year, we beat the Bengals on Halloween weekend, so... Last year we last year we did it. True, uh, but anyways, I digress. Uh, Mo Hurst one interception in this game, which was pretty damn impressive. He ta- he uh, got the ball batted down on the at the line, and then turned around and ran back and dove and caught it. It was uh, uh, pretty agile for a, a defensive tackle there. Good guy. He, yeah, I don't know how often they drop back. I mean, he was playing defensive tackle, wasn't he? Yeah, uh, like how often they drop back a defensive yeah. tackle. But that play, call I, I don't was know that they actually. Uh, called it, it like where he was dropping back in coverage. To me, it looks like he read the play and knew what it was and was like, hang on, I'm going to... I mean, if he did that, all props to him, but it seemed like he rushed. He almost faked a rush and then dropped back. But if he read the play and was like, I know this is going to be a crossing route and I'm reading the quarterback size, that yeah. was awesome. Phenomenal Man. play. Nonetheless, regardless of if he was in coverage or not. And then uh, MJ Emerson uh, got another pick in this one. So I was one game off. I said he would have got another pick uh, last week and he ended up getting a pick in this game. So uh, phenomenal job out of him and uh, the last two to highlight here on the defense Grant Delpit six tackles was all over the place once again and Juan Thornhill with seven tackles of his own so good job out of the safeties and just again I think those are some some of the highlights of the the defensive stat sheet but this whole defense you know played really well again outside of the very end of the game and the very start of the game which just you know sometimes those first couple drives are get right drives trying to figure out what they're going to do on offense what you know what how they're blocking how they're on to your point they just put the the clamps on after those first two drives. <clears throat> oh, yeah. I mean, they, they were great after those first two drives. Um, and then special teams for the Browns. Dustin Hopkins uh, continues to put on a kicking clinic, clinic this season. Uh, perfect again in this one. Bone man, your boy, two for two field goals, two for two extra points. Dude's a dog. Where do we stand with the with the confidence meter? Uh, it's super high. He continues to be a stud, and uh, I'm, I'm just I'm, Are, I'm is excited. This, is yeah. this... As uh, as excited as you've ever been, he, I felt like the game was actually kind of quiet on his part. Like our field goals were just like they weren't big time were, field goals, but they were just so easy though. And they right? came at and they just came at Normal times time, in the yeah. games, you know. So um, yeah, he made them all, which is the most life. important part. And yeah. uh, I'm, I mean, I wish we would have won the game, but yeah, yeah, yeah I, I feel you, I feel you. But it, needless to say. <clears throat> Bone Man is still full masked for Dustin Hopkins. So I'm going to give Zach a Swedish penis enlarger for Christmas and just write, write Dustin Hopkins on it. <laughs> nice. So anytime, Can we have that on air? Can we give the gift giving on air? Anytime he's feeling lonely. Yeah, I like low. that. I like that. I mean, I don't like that you're giving him that, but that's cool. Maybe um, uh, that can be part of the uh, King of the North uh, loser sweepstakes. Just keep pumping and see what happens. Oh, man, that sounds terrible. Uh, anyways, uh, we'll move on to coaching here. Uh, Stefanski, or Stefanik as we like to call him because we have uh, no respect for for him look here's the deal i gave this guy props last week and said uh you know he kind of started he he had we got to give him some props because we're at four at the time we were at four and two with a ragtag bunch of players on offense that we shouldn't be winning with um 
But you see what happens. You see what happens. Uh, I give him props and and. Here's the deal. He just Weeman. turns right back into Stefanik because he's he just. We, this is why we don't respect this guy. Just run the goddamn ball. We, just run the damn ball. We even gave him an S back last week. Yeah, he was Stefanik's or whatever he was. <laughs> but no, he just he. I look. Why does this guy have to be the smartest guy in the room <sighs> on every single down? I just don't understand. Like he, he thinks there's somebody that's trying to outsmart him, and so he's trying to outsmart them, but in turn just outsmarts himself again. Why couldn't he just pick the smartest three-yard run play they had? It didn't even have to be the smartest. They were averaging four, four and a half yards a carry at the time. So, have, have you guys listened to any of his press conferences where they, I mean, every question is, what was uh, the thought in going into that, uh, passing the ball in third and three? And I, mean, I feel like he was asked it like 10 times, and he just deflects every yeah. single time and said, you know, it's a team it's a team loss, team win. Like, how can you get I'm asked just, the same question 10 times and not give a single answer? I'm just like, take some responsibility for one play. Be like, right. dude, I call it a pretty good game, but on that play, I effed up. And yeah, you could even you could it, even not eat the humble pie totally. Just eat it for that play. And, exactly. I, would, and I would even agree with that. I texted you guys during the game. I said there was, there was the one you play did on, say the, on the double screen. He said that's the best call that I've ever Joker. seen out of him. That was the best call, call right. seen Stefanski made. That was an innovative play call. I was not expecting it. And I thought he called a good game up until then. Because like I said, up until that point, I'm going, God damn it, this guy's going to do it again. He's going to pull off three wins with an XFL dump quarterback and without his best player on the field. Um, Nope. And then he went and did it again. But this is, I I feel like this is his trend. Uh, Since he's been here as coach, he makes those calls in the worst opportune moments that loses us games. And... Going back, I feel like just like that call, there's been calls in the past, whether it's Pittsburgh or the Jets last year, whatever the hell it is, he loses his games by making stupid-ass calls in the worst time. Yep. Making Bowman so angry he's banging on his desk. <laughs> Have you made your decision for Christ? Yeah, and so, you know, I, I just, uh, you're, you're exactly right, Bone. I mean, it's just really frustrating. It's always when the game is on the line. It's always when we need something, and it always goes wrong. And we almost always, almost win because of it. So uh, I'm just getting really sick of it. And, and um, just, just a couple things I wanted to highlight in this game. Um, you know, we got to see the patented reverse for negative six. Uh, that was a play in this game. You Love didn't. That. You didn't. We already talked about it, but you didn't run the ball on third and three um, when we're trying to run clock with a lead at the end of the game. Um, like running backs are averaging four and a half yards per carry. Worst case scenario, you take your your good punter. And yeah, pin them back in the other one side. of the best punters in the NFL. You, with with you no punt, timeouts, pin them deep and give our defense a full field to work with. <laughs> right, uh, but even before that, on that same drive, um, the running backs ran out of bounds three times. Uh, or at least twice, I think it was. But still, what are you doing? Like, it's a drive under four minutes. The first thing you say when you go in the huddle, if you're Kevin Stefanik, is, hey, guys, if you're getting close to the sideline, just go down. The clock is more important than the yards right now, so just go down. Um, and, and and it just doesn't seem like he ever has that conversation because this isn't the first time the running backs go out of bounds. over and over and over again. Yeah, and um, it's just like... like uh, it's simple stuff. Like, what are you doing? And why is your most experienced back, Kareem Hunt, on the bench in this situation? A third and three? Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you, 
there's a lot of people out here that don't like this, and I saw actually a lot of support for Stefanik after the game. And you, you might not like our takes, and you might think we're wrong. Um, but here's the deal: after the game, there was a crack in the armor of of everybody being behind Kevin Stefanik and and thinking that or always having their coaches back and whatever. Um, Kareem Hunt was actually asked about not getting a chance on third and three, and, and also his role down the stretch. And he said, in, and I quote. I didn't get a chance the whole fourth quarter, so it's cool. I don't know. I just go and play my role. I feel like I could have helped win. Um, Hunt's final touch, in case anyone was wondering, came with 3.36 left in the third quarter. Um, he didn't touch the ball from then until the, the, the game was over. Like he didn't, he didn't have a single touch the rest of the game. Um, and all that with a, a QB3 behind center. So like, like, what are you doing? I would have gambled with Kareem Hunt in the Wildcat on third and three. Right. After he had touched the ball for a whole quarter and said, whatever happens, happens. And I'll live with it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but instead, we decided that, 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 that we wanted to go with, we wanted to put the ball in P.J. Walker's hand, XFL. Uh, a guy, again, that we have no problem with him personally, but he's just not that good of a quarterback. Like, he has no business running an NFL offense for an extended period of time. And that's the guy we go with when the game's on the line. You know who he is? Who? He's... Willie Beeman. Steeman. <laughs> Steeman Willie Beeman? Beeman. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but anyways, I'm, I, I can't, I, you know, I've, I'm, I don't want to just spend my, our entire podcast uh, lamenting Kevin Stefanik, even though I could. I absolutely could. I could come up with a lot of things to say about him. I'm going to move on here. We're going to talk about a guy that we actually love, Jim Schwartz. It's just frustrating. Uh, Jim Schwartz. Uh, look, this is we said it before. We're, we'll say it again. This is a championship defense. They're still the best part of our team. Um, I will say for the first time, like I said, it, it seemed like they were uh, just a little. They, they just weren't as excite, exciting to watch as the last, you know, the the rest of the season has been because they've literally been just unreal. Um, and they did give up some yards in this. They did give up some touchdowns. So, but I mean, all in all, I'm not. That's not a knock on the defense. I'm just saying, like, it was just not not quite the level we've been used to this season, but still a solid effort out of them. They just don't have a damn offense to, to give them any help whatsoever. Yeah. I, I think it's tough to bring that every week when you're not getting any help. Well, it's got to wear on the unit, right? Uh, like just the defense as a whole, as the season goes on. So like, what do you think about that? Are they, are they, you think they're kind of starting to hit a point where they're like, God damn, I really <clears throat> wish I had some help over here. But I don't know that they've hit that point yet. I think if anything, this was probably just a combination of the fact that it was a West coast trip. <laughs> Um, and I think, I think, I think, um, Pete Carroll's a good, a good play caller and a good, um, schemer. So I think that, um, they, they had a good game plan going into this. They knew what they wanted to do to attack our defense. And, um, you know, Gino played a, a really decent game for, um, you know, a guy that was, was, left for dead in the NFL. So, yeah. Um, all fair points. No, like I said, I don't think they played b- bad by any means. So, um, I just, I wonder like how long this can go that they don't get any help before well, the defense starts to turn. And they're like, this but, is not even that they, it, it, they may have some bad games just for, from the, the mental standpoint of like, God, this is getting exhausting carrying this team every single week. Yeah. Um, so just, just a thought, but uh, Bubba Ventrone, special teams look good, so no 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 qualms there. Um, overall, though, uh, Cleveland uh, total yards: Cleveland three hundred eighty five, uh, Seattle three hundred sixty two. First downs: Cleveland twenty three, Seattle seventeen. Time of possession: Cleveland thirty six forty, Seattle twenty three twenty. Don't know how you lose a game when you have when you win the time of possession battle that 
lopsidedly. I don't think that's a word, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, penalties, Cleveland 4 for 25. Seattle 7 for 43. But the big one and the one that we lose week in and week out ever since uh, P.J. Walker has taken over as quarterback, uh, turnovers, Cleveland 3, Seattle 2. Um, and that really, I mean, that extra turnover is what cost us the game. So, um, I mean, we had a discussion about the uh, – that, that's it for the game. So I just want to – one thing I want to throw out there as we're kind of closing this out here for the recap, um, we had a discussion about the refs helping us last week. <laughs> and this week, uh, they remember that they hate the Cleveland Browns. So uh, terrible and obvious hold on DK Metcalf uh, when the Seahawks scored at the end there. Uh, but what did we say last week, Kenny? Um, the, the ref shouldn't determine the outcome of your game. You should be better than that. That and bad calls happen all the time. Yep. Uh, this week and last week is actually a really good example of this. Some go your way, some don't go your way. Um, I still hate the refs, but they shouldn't be the ones that are determining your game. And in all honesty, they didn't determine it this time. Sure, it was a hold <laughs> on DK Metcalf, but who's to say they wouldn't have scored the very next play? I, I didn't even think it was that bad of a hold because honestly, because he let go as the guy went around him. So, well, yeah. I, think, I think that's how you coach it up, right? Is, People on the internet though, they get to pause it right at the time where he's holding it. It looks terrible. Sure, right? but you could do that on any play, and it looks bad. But to me, he had the inside of the shoulder pads right where you're supposed to, to hold on to a guy, and he let go as soon as Njigba went right around him, and so yep. there's nothing to see there. Yep. So, uh, like I said, I, we said it last week. We'll say it again. Regardless of of how you think, um, how you think he's doing for the. And I'm moving on to another subject. I apologize, but regardless of how you think he's done for the Browns so far, we need Deshaun Watson back. I think is is kind of the uh, what I take out of this game. Um, and if he doesn't come back soon, we the trade deadline is. We're recording on Monday. The trade deadline's tomorrow. Uh, you got to make a move. Because we can't afford to keep giving away games like this. I mean, that's literally what we did. We had the lead late in the fourth quarter with a chance to run the clock out, and we gave the game away because we didn't have somebody that could pick up a single first down. Uh, look, I don't, I don't, I don't have any other anything. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about this at this point because if they don't make a move to go get someone to bring in to back up Deshaun for the rest of the season. What are they telling you as an organization? Well, what are the players thinking? Like, what do you like? What do you think to yourself as a player when you say, "Look, we we literally have all the pieces right now. We just need somebody that can bridge the gap until Deshaun Watson comes back." And what does it say to you that they're not willing to give up a, a six round pick and three million dollars to to make something happen? Uh, you know, they're you know who they are able to give two hundred thirty million dollars to. Well, just says to me they don't care. Uh, yeah. they, they don't care. Well, and, and, and it goes back care, to why should anyone else? And it goes back to, uh, I think it was Andrew Barry had a, had a uh, comment in a press conference not too long ago, and he kind of said, uh, he, he kind of started to almost uh, uh, tell Browns fans to tamper their expectations for this year, even though we've had a hot start, because he said, look, this is always a five-year plan, and we're in year two of a five-year plan. So are you telling me that this year literally doesn't matter to you? Like, is that what you're saying? I would say if they don't pick, bring someone in to help play quarter. I mean, what the hell happened to Kellen Mond? I, he's a man on somebody else's practice squad. You can't go snag him up. Um, Jameis Winston, you can't make a trade for Jameis. Jameis Winston, we are. Uh, uh, Jacoby Brissett, you'd love Brissett. to have back. Those are um, trades, and you got to give up some assets for him. But the, on the other side of it, I mean, even like Carson Wentz Carson is sitting Wentz, out there. A free Matt agent. Ryan. Um, Matt Ryan. I mean, these guys aren't dumps. Shit, call up Tom Brady. Just take a stab. Tom Brady, yeah. I mean, make an effort. 
Yeah, it's just really frustrating that it doesn't seem like there's any movement on that. If this front. Browns team went and signed Jacoby tomorrow and he lost every game from now until the end of the season, I would at least let them off. I would let them off the hook on that and say, okay, look, you made an effort. You tried to bring in a veteran guy. You did what you could. You did what you could. And unfortunately, the attrition of this game with losing your best running back and some of the you know, other players along the way, um, you just couldn't get it done. And, and that happens in the NFL, so that's fair. But to just stand by and do nothing. Just super frustrating. Bone, you got anything to say about this? I, I think they need to make a move. I, 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 as you guys were pointing towards um, them not doing something sends a terrible message, I think, just to the team. Because it's like P.J. Walker, he just has three turnovers a game. Um, all the guys are saying, we, we, we like them. It seems like they're good camaraderie on the, on the sideline, but they're teammates. But behind closed doors, it's like, it's, this isn't sustainable. How, how, how is this our option? You know, we, we talk to the Browns alumni and they talk about their friends on the team and all the stuff that they went and did like during the week or after the games or whatever. Like, I can't imagine the private conversations they're having about like, God, we're really good, but we don't have a quarterback that can get us there. Uh, and it feels bad. And imagine, it doesn't seem like management has our back to be able to get us somebody that can get us there. Imagine you're at dinner with Miles Garrett and Joel Petonio. <laughs> right. I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah. I, 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 I can't imagine the conversations that they have because you know they talk about this stuff. I mean, we played football. Right. Not at that level, obviously. I'm not saying that. But even, even at high school or college levels, like the players all talk to each other. And even if they would never say it in public, like they got stuff to say about the coaches or they've got stuff to say about other players if they're not getting the job done uh, and are continued to be put in a position mm-hmm. where the team's relying on them. So, But here's the other thing. Why does this surprise any of us? I don't know. This is what they do. This is is what this franchise has continued to put out for you every year since 1999. Whether it was the learners, whether it was Jimmy and D. Haslam, it doesn't matter. It's the same shit, different day, every year with this team. As soon as they walk into Berea, they forget all common sense, and this just turns into a shit show. It's like, how bad can we screw this up week in and week out? How can we frustrate people all over the city? How can we be the worst part of their week? Because we'll be back. Because we'll be back. Yeah, it's true. And, and I hate to say it, but I mean, like, you're, you're not wrong in anything you just said. And it's it's really frustrating. But um, in other Browns news here, uh, look, I've decided I'm never giving anyone who is traditionally ass props on the Browns ever again until they, they sustain decent play over an extended period of time. Because here's the deal. First, we already talked about Stefan. I gave him props last week. Completely shit his pants this week. Uh, now Jed Wills. Uh, I said he had, a, he had a good couple games. I gave him some props. I said, good job, buddy. Um, well, here's the deal. In this game, I caught him at least three times, literally blocking nobody. Like, just turned around staring at the quarterback getting tackled. What the hell, man? Like, you, did you listen to Burning River Sportscast, too? And he said, hey, this guy thinks I'm doing pretty good. I guess I could take a break now. No, fuck you. Do your job. <laughs> Seriously, Jed Wills. Like, what are you doing? This guy's ass. I'm done with him. Sorry, I'm angry. You said I was the angriest man on the interwebs. You are the angriest man, I know. That's true. Look, I just... (laughs) It feels like they're so close to to doing the right thing. But how are they consistently doing the wrong thing? And the question is, like, who is responsible for this? Who is responsible for letting Jed Wills just absolutely be a turnstile out there? At this point, is it Kevin's call to have him on the field? Is it Barry's call to have him on the field? I don't know. I don't know. Whoever's call it is, you're wrong. Who's, who's, 
just saying. Whose call is it not to have a veteran quarterback on this team? Is it Stefanski that says, hey, yeah, I believe in PJ, we're good? <laughs> or is it Barry? Like, who's who's got the power? Who's got the power? Who's doing this thing? I don't know. It's whoever know. it is, you're wrong. Yeah. But um, from bad play to good play, that will lead us to the Burger River Sportscast Dog of the Week, baby. <laughs> Doesn't matter, man. You got to play tough people in the National Football League. You got to be ready, and we got to be the dogs that we are every time we step on there on Sunday and be ready to attack and don't stop until uh, we're in that locker room. Okay, so this week's Burning River Sportscast Dog of the Week is David Njoku. Uh, We mentioned earlier he had himself a decent game. Four receptions on eight targets for 77 yards. And he rode a defender like a boogie board in the Pacific uh, Ocean into the end zone to score a touchdown. So that was pretty fantastic. Uh, Bone Man, I know this was your player to watch. What do you have to say about David Njoku? Yeah, he was a beast. Um, yeah, that, that play where he kind of like surfed on the defender across the goal line. I think I, I may have texted you that. I was like, that was badass. But <laughs> you did. I mean, they set up some nice plays for him. Was that the tight end or was that the seam down the middle when he scored or was that the tight end screen? Uh, that was a seam down the middle. That was the, the play call that Kenny actually gave uh, Kevin, right. Kevin Stefanik props on. He said, oh my gosh, that was like the best play call I've ever seen from Kevin Stefanik. So. Yeah, he had a, nice, a lot of nice yards after the catch. And uh, yeah, people were having trouble bringing him down. He, he looks like a giant. Compared he to some of these guys out there, some of those the secondary players. He does, and I'm not going to lie, I stepped away for a minute. I didn't see if he actually got it back. Wasn't there a play where the defender like intercepted it, and then he was able to almost knock the ball away and get a fumble recovery? He, he, he took it. He took it, but they said that even touching the ball at that point was down by contact. That's kind of what I feel. I, so I saw like they started <sighs> the replay, and I had to leave the room for a second. I was but like, he clean sweeped it. I was like, I think he's gonna. Yeah. I think it's gonna go their way. But I was like, that's a fantastic play and a heads up play by by him to be able to even make that close to where you have to review it. He was also wide open third and three. <laughs> well, that's a whole other story. But, um, so yeah, David and Joku, the Burning River Sportscast Dog of the Week, and that will take us to the division roundup. Okay, so the division roundup this week for the AFC North. The Bengals went to the West Coast and handed the 49ers their third straight loss. Um, so I did not see this coming. Neither did Bone Man. Kenny was the only one that picked this game right. Um, he really he really uh, is impressed by Joe Burrow right now. Um, the way uh, Bone Man feels about Dustin Hopkins. That's, oh, yeah. how, that's how Kenny feels about Joe Burrow. I got a boner. Um, <laughs> Next up, uh, Baltimore beat the Cardinals in Arizona, which isn't surprising. Almost everybody's beat the Cardinals this year, so we were all right on that one. Uh, Pittsburgh loses to the Jags at home. Uh, I was right, Kenny was right, and Bone Man were right on that one. Clean sweep there again. And then Cleveland loses to Seattle and the 12s, uh, which I still don't get the 12s. They don't even have tailgating there. I don't know why they have fans at all. Um, but me and Kenny were both wrong, and Bone Man called this one right. The the uh, consummate optimist for the Cleveland Browns picked them to lose and was correct. Uh, so for the AFC North right now, the standings are as follows. Baltimore is in first place at 6-2, and two, and then Pittsburgh, Cleveland, and Cincinnati, in that order due to tiebreakers, um, are tied for, I guess you'd call it tied for second, second in the division at 4-3. and three. <laughs> 
Um, so it's a tight race, and th- these are the types of games, this game, these are the types of games you can't be dropping because yeah. you'll need these later on. Right. Um, but for King of the North, and we'll get more into that later, the updated standings, uh, and uh, there's going to be a big discussion around this. I'm sure Kenny is super excited, but me and Kenny both sit at 11 and 13, and Bone Man has taken the lead at 12 and 12. 500. Nice. He got back there, finally. Uh, but that'll take us to Around the NFL. So, as mentioned earlier in the show, the 49ers lost their third in a row. Uh, and here we go with QB questions. Apparently, three losses in the honeymoon phase is over with Brock Purdy. Uh, people are calling for Darnold to start. And it's getting pretty wild out west. Uh, you see what I did there? <laughs> nice one. Um, some good news for the 49ers in this game, though. Christian McCaffrey scored a touchdown in a record-tying 17th straight game. He literally scored a touchdown for an entire season straight, uh, which is pretty incredible. The 49ers do have a bye next week, so he will be going for that record uh, to be the the outright record holder in Week 10 against the Jaguars. Did you see they played the footage of him when he was in, I don't know, he was 10 years old in the uh, mascot games, and he just torching them. Did he? <laughs> like 10. That's, that's phenomenal, because usually it's the mascots just like terrorizing these children. Yeah, he was leaving them in the dust. Nice. Uh, next up here, Sean Payton and Russell Wilson came together to end the Broncos' 16-game losing streak to the Chiefs. And after the game, the team blasted Taylor Swift music in the stadium, and Sean Payton was asked about the win, and he said, we're going to be playing in bigger games than that. When? Amazingly, this dude still thinks his team isn't trash. I don't really understand it, but he's he's really confident. Um, and Boneman, this is a question for you: Is Russell back and ready to tussle? Russell still tussles. Oh boy! Oh boy! I will give. I will say this about Russell right now: His current NFL ranks uh, passing touchdowns to interceptions. So his, his touchdown interception ratio: He's second in the league. Passing touchdowns: He's fourth in the league. Uh, passing touchdowns per attempt. He's first in the league in his pass rating. He's fourth in the league. And in fourth quarter comebacks, he's first in the league this year. All pretty good numbers. Yeah, hot dog. I didn't realize I didn't realize that, but uh he's still he's still putting up numbers. He's so are, up are numbers. you saying he's officially tussling again? He's tussling, yeah. Russell he, he always has been. I don't know what the issue's been. Russell does tussle. <laughs> Oh, boy. So uh, here's the deal, though. These are things the Broncos defense has done in the last month. Uh, They have given up 70 points to the Dolphins, and then they've held the Chiefs to nine points. So I don't know what that says about their defense, but it says something. I mean, those are two of the wildest things that have happened all year. (laughs) That alone makes me hate this whole league. Yeah, I mean, I guess if nothing else, it just shows you how parity <clears throat> reigns in the NFL. I mean, a team can give up 70 one week and then hold one of the best offenses in the league to nine points like, a few weeks later. Is it seriously as simple as, like, who has better breakfast today? I don't know. And they're like, ah, oh, we, we had great breakfast at the hotels. Uh. Maybe it is because Tom Brady won a lot of games, and he's, I mean, he's famous for having the strictest, like, most regimented diet of everybody. TV so 12, maybe bro. he always had the best breakfast, <laughs> and they be. always won. That's, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> and next up here, uh, the longest uh, winning streak, by the way, uh, is now held by the Jaguars at five games. So, I mean, whatever that does for anybody. Um, <clears throat> and then next up, one of, one of Kenny's boys, Sam Howell. And I call him one of your boys because you defended him earlier this year when I shit all over him and said he wasn't very good. Um, but let me just throw this out there. 
Patrick Mahomes passing passing touchdowns to interceptions uh, fifteen to eight. Passing yards two thousand two hundred fifty eight. Completions two hundred nine. Attempts three hundred four. Okay. Sam Howell passing touchdowns to interceptions thirteen to eight. Passing yards two thousand one hundred forty six. Completions two hundred six on three hundred eight attempts. So almost identical numbers to Patrick Mahomes. So he's almost as good as Pat Mahomes. I mean, I guess I maybe I was wrong about Sam Howell. Maybe he's not as bad as I thought. I don't know. Look, I just think he's like a very average quarterback in the NFL. I don't think he's great or bad. I just, he's not my boy, but he's just, your boy. I just don't think like I think because no one knew his name. Like, <laughs> Sam Howell's your boy. Sam Howell. But if you watch him play, he's not terrible. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess so. But anyways, uh, on to your other boy, your real boy. Oh, yeah. Will Levis gets his first start and does not disappoint. 238 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, and the Tennessee Titans beat the Falcons 28-23. to um, Will Levis was asked about it after this game, and he just said, this is a dream come true, man. That's all uh, he had to say. You know what he did really well? What did he do? What did he throw touchdowns and not interceptions? He found his best receiver and threw him the ball all day long. Well, it's funny you mentioned D-Hop. Uh, D-Hop, the original D-Hop, not our D-Hop. Uh, he had three of Will Levis's four touchdowns. Uh, and he recorded an Instagram live coming off the field. And he basically said, he said, you know, everyone's out here writing me off. I feel like I'm Geno Smith out here. Uh, and he really did have kind of a resurgence game. And I think this actually spells what we can expect from D-Hop. I'm assuming this takes him off the trade market, uh, and they'll probably utilize him a lot more going forward. I mean, the Titans are not out of it. By it's a real good showcase. True, true. Um, but no, I just always wondered this about like a young quarterback who is struggling. Like, why not just throw it to your best player? I think you've seen Baker do this in, in Tampa Bay a lot this yep. year. Just throw it in the air to Mike Evans. Yep. he'll he'll catch it. <laughs> he's starting. He's come back down to earth though. So, but I just don't. I don't understand. Like when you have a guy like D Hop on your team, why why was Tannehill not why taking not use advantage him? of? Yeah, I don't know. Having a, a talent like that. Well, especially when hasn't Mark Henry or Mark Henry Mark Henry? <laughs> oh no, the sexual chocolate is here. <laughs> oh my gosh, uh, no. But hasn't Derrick Henry been banged up and and not like well, just himself been good and, this year? Yeah, yeah. Like why wouldn't you take advantage of the best player on the field? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't know. But on the other side of the ball in that field, uh, Desmond Ritter was benched in favor of Taylor Heineke for the Falcons in the second half of the game. So apparently. Quarterback controversy controversy is brewing. Well, here's the thing. I love quarterback controversy. Desmond Ritter does suck. He's what Sam. <laughs> he's what you think Sam Howell is. Oh, he's a that's no, bad. Then. He's a nobody and should have never had his, had any business starting in an NFL football game. He's um, sloppy. He turns the ball over. He's he's, he's ass. He's athletic to an extent because he can move a little bit, but God, he's just not anything special. He's ass. It's that's just, what you're trying to say. Yeah, I mean, he he's done after this. He, oh, you know, guys like. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, shoot, what's his name? Nathan Peterman and Blaine Gabbard have made a career as backups in the NFL, so maybe he'll find some way to hang on, but he's in that class of just ass, ass, ass. Ass, ass, ass. ass, that's, ass. That's, if you ass, want ass. one way to describe Desmond Ritter, ass, ass, ass. Triple S. Um, so yeah, con- QB controversy there, or just Taylor Heineke's taking over. Either way, gotta love it. Another team that may open themselves up to quarterback controversy if their starter <clears> needs <throat> to miss any time. The Steelers lost Kenny Pickett this week to a rib injury in the first half of their game. He did not come back. He is now day-to-day. They're talking about he may miss Thursday night. Um, and if he does and uh, Mason Rudolph comes in and plays well, what do you do? What do you do? 
Well, Mason Rudolph's not going to come in because Trubisky is. Uh, well, I, I saw some reports out there. They might they might skip him and go with Mason Rudolph. But uh, if they play Trubisky, he's probably better than Mason Rudolph, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially because Mason Rudolph's brain is scrambled after Miles Garrett hit him with a helmet. Um, but Trubisky's not good either. So. No, 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 no. But is there going to be a quarterback controversy? I'm Kenny more, Pickett's not that good either. So. I'm more worried about Kenny Pickett than I am Trubisky. As a opponent, you mean? Yeah. Okay, well, that's fair. I still don't think Kenny Pickett's that good. Um, I just think Trubisky. I don't think he knows where to throw the ball. Like he doesn't. That's true. He can't throw it to anyone in particular. He's he throws like he's, Johnny Johnny like Manziel, who Jim, never watched a moment Chimo. of uh, film in his NFL throws, career. Just throws the ball. Yeah. Hopefully somebody gets that. Uh, but also in that game, Deontay Johnson ripped the officials after the Steelers game uh, and and said that the the officials cost them the game. So a few things here. We already mentioned it in this episode. Um, one, try being a Browns fan. <laughs> Two, the Steelers are seriously whining about not getting calls. Like, the Steelers get more calls than anybody I know. Um, three, the refs are bad. It is what it is. I don't know. Like, I, yeah, we'll probably continue to complain about it, too, but the refs are bad. It just, it, it is what it is. Uh, and side note, uh, should the NFL just, in, this, is, this is my own thing here. Side note, uh, should the NFL invest in AI refs? Yes, 100%. I mean, AI is in everything else, right? So why not the NFL? Why can't they take over as refs? Agreed. Um, you know, it's funny. I heard... Although it would be um, funny because every play would be like holding. <laughs> I heard our boy uh, John Greco on the radio this morning, and he said, look, I was in the building a lot of days when that package came in from the NFL that says, hey, sorry, we missed these three calls that might have impacted the game on Sunday. What did that do for us? <laughs> It's like I was there a lot of the time. We didn't change the outcome of like a game, so we still lost. John Greco's got good stories. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. So, quit whining, Deontay Johnson. Smiles at well. All a man can do is smile back. But let's, uh, you know, that's Deontay Johnson's take. But let's switch gears and talk about a wide receiver that's actually good. Uh, you mentioned him earlier in the show. Tyreek Hill surpassed a thousand yard, uh, the thousand yard mark in just the eighth game of the season. And when asked about it, he said, I've been calling my shot since I came in this league. <laughs> so clearly a very humble man. Um, but no, I mean, that's that's unbelievable. A thousand yards in eight games. I can't even comprehend that. Um, and the funny thing is, man, I just go back to like when he was first traded, and everybody was kind of like, well, how did you go to the Dolphins? And he came out and he says, Tua is the most accurate quarterback. Tua is more accurate than Pat Mahomes. And everybody was kind of like, what are you doing? But here we are. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm pretty sure the stats, uh, if they don't back it up, they're pretty damn <clears throat> close in, in completion percentage. So, I mean, if two could stay healthy and not miss a bunch of time, his stats probably would be on par with where Pats are. So, yep. yep. Ty- Tyreek called for a 2,000 yard season. He did. Year, he did. He? At the end of the year. Yep. yep. That's why he was talking about calling a shot. That's specifically yeah. what they were, they okay. were asking him about. Like, you know, you're on pace. Yeah. So, you're actually ahead of pace. So. Um, but yeah, uh, besides that, I mean, injuries everywhere this week. No. Uh, we already mentioned Kenny Pickett. Minka Fitzpatrick also left that game and may have to miss some time with a hamstring injury. Um, Kirk Cousins done for the season with a torn Achilles. Feels bad. He was having a good season. He was. They were, uh, his team was not. But he but was, he was putting up a lot of yards because they had to lean on him. One of the best seasons of his career. Who, who's their backup? Is any? Is, is <laughs> I don't know? even know. Yeah, I have no uh, idea. It's um, <sighs> shoot. 
I don't make it a point to follow the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> right, right. So. <laughs> I know who it is, though. I'll, I'll look it up. I'll get back to you guys. Yeah, you're the board man. Yeah, what are you doing? You're the board man. Um, Patriots top wide receiver Kendrick Bourne, who is having a decent season, done for the year with a torn ACL. Uh, Falcons star defensive end Grady Jarrett, done for the season, torn ACL. Uh, Rams QB Matthew Stafford had to leave the game with a thumb injury and did not come back. He's been diagnosed with a UCL sprain. Um, they're hopeful they can get him back next week, but with that uh, diagnosis, I, I don't know that that's going to happen. If it does, he's not definitely not going to be at 100%. How much longer is Matt Stafford's leash there in L.A.? I mean, he's kind of an older guy anyway when they made the trade for him. They won the Super Bowl. They got what they wanted. He should have retired. He's kind of been injury-prone in the last two years. Like He should have retired. Did you see his wife got into an argument with the... Uh, the the rapper that brought strippers to the game. Um, yes, I do like his wife. Yeah, she she uh, blasted the the rapper on uh, blueface. So yeah, blueface on social media because he brought strippers into the game and was throwing dollar bills at him while they were performing. And uh, uh, she was like, "Come on!" I mean, and he was like, "Who are you? I don't care." It was, it was his birthday. Yeah, if that was my birthday, that's what I would do. But anyways, uh, uh, so there, like I said, he he has an injured thumb, injured UCL. <clears throat> hoping they can get him back soon. Uh, and then anyone that played in the New York Giants versus Jets game seemed to get hurt. Uh, Terod <laughs> Taylor ended up getting taken to the hospital with a rib injury. Darren Waller may have to miss some time with a hamstring injury. Multiple linemen went out in this game. I think they were down to like their fourth string center or something. What was the deal with Terod? Because I was watching a good bit of this game and. Uh, I missed the injury that happened, but then like they came on like a, a half hour later, and they were like he's been taken to the hospital, which seems odd in the middle of a game. It was a rib injury, and there was some swelling and some other stuff you mean, going on. Where, his lung? No, it was he actually didn't end up breaking anything, but it was like really deep bruised to where he was having trouble breathing and some Bizarre. other things. And they took him to the hospital for. Uh, uh, from what I understood, at least reading this morning, was it was more of like an evaluation thing overnight to make sure nothing, there was no complications. Right. I mean, I guess it's easier to get to the hospital during the game than after the game. Yeah. Um, and did anyone see any of the, the, the Giants? I know you mentioned you just you just watched some of it, but did you watch the Giants game at all? Uh, yeah, it was, it was really ass. <laughs> uh, the Giants had negative nine net passing yards in this game. They had some guy named DeVito out there. Negative nine net passing yards. Do you guys know who game. quarterback 15 DeVito is? No team has no. had fewer yards since 2000. Fewer passing yards they since 2000. They were playing some guy named DeVito. I don't know. Danny DeVito was playing for him. I don't know. He looked like he was 150 pounds. <laughs> Speaking of that, Minnesota is playing some guy named um, Jaron Hall. Jaren. He's, he's a rookie yeah. out of BYU. Of course, that guy. Yeah, yeah. everybody knows his name. Uh, <laughs> no, but yeah, the, the, the Giants had like the... Least passing yards since 2000. Uh, I don't even know that how that's like. It, that's hard to fathom for me. Negative nine net passing. Like how yards. are they Lots worse? How are they worse than the Browns? I don't know. But even with that, even with that, this is the more impressive part. The Giants were up 10-7 with 28 seconds left in the game. But don't worry, they found a way to lose <laughs> and lost to the Jets in this one. So that was pretty crazy. And I will say, uh, throwback jerseys this year. Changing gears, throwback jerseys, not this year, this week. 3-0 this week, Seahawks, Dolphins, and Titans, who wore the Oilers jerseys, which were dope-ass. Which, um, there was quite a bit of conversation about this week with T.J. Watt. Um, kind of a travesty that the Titans own the rights to those jerseys and that the city of Houston doesn't. <laughs> like, yeah, There's no history there in Nashville for the Oilers. Like, yet everything that is Houston and what was that team and that community like it should be the Texans because the Texans have a team now. It's kind of yeah. Luckily, I'm glad the Browns were able to figure all that out and keep our history here in right. Baltimore. Hundred um, percent. But speaking of the Browns, they I think what this is telling us is that they should wear their throwbacks more often than they do. Which throwbacks? 
The ones we had this year, the all whites. Are those throwbacks though? Like those are like modern, like they're almost like color rush. No, the white ones are literally the they they are like the same exact jerseys that they had back in the sixties. I know, but they're like color rush though. They're like very modern look. Like the rest of our jerseys didn't look like that in the sixties. Like these are very cool. They're literally a throwback jersey, man. Not really. I don't think they they, they list them as a throwback jersey. I don't even think they had them. No, I think they listed as an alternate. They didn't, they didn't even have an orange stripe on them. In the sixties, I I don't know. I don't. They I, only spray painted them orange because the, they couldn't tell the ball because the ball looked white on TV, and so the helmets. I don't even know what to say to you right now. But anyways, uh, what I learned this <coughs> week basically is playing football is dangerous. Lots of injuries. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so that'll do it for our trip around the NFL. Kenny, would you like to talk to another Browns Packers chapter? Fuck yeah. Okay, he's excited. Uh, so something that we started doing this year is our Browns Backers interview series. Uh, what we wanted to do is highlight Browns Backers from across the country and across the world. Uh, and we wanted to do this for several reasons. Obviously, these people are all diehard Browns fans. Uh, they root for their Browns come rain or shine. That part is obvious. But we also wanted to highlight uh, the fact that, that most of these groups do a lot of community service, uh, a, a lot of charity work. Um, and that's something that, that even the casual Browns fan who knows who the Browns Backers are doesn't know about the Browns Backers organizations. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and get into the next interview in the series. Powered by Riverside FM. All right, so this week for our Browns Backers interview series, uh, we have the opportunity to talk to Jesse from the Northwest Tucson Browns Backers. Jesse, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, guys. Good to be here. Yeah, I know everybody's busy, so thanks for taking the time. Um, So go ahead and uh, tell us a little bit about your chapter. All right, I run the Northwest Tucson Browns Backers Club. There are two clubs in Tucson, Arizona. I have the one on the northwest side. There's another one on the other side of town. Uh, They used to be one big club, and the former president had moved back home to Ohio to take care of his family, so we kind of, each location kind of drifted to become their own club, and that happens to be mine on the northwest side. Okay, and when when were you guys established? Because it sounds like there was probably the Tucson backers, and then you guys... Oh, yeah, no, this club has been in Tucson, I mean, forever. I won a barking contest in 1989 at this club. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Back before the split. So so it's been around that long. My incarnation of the Northwest Side Club has been going since 2009. Okay, cool. And what's what's your uh, guys' numbers? Like, how many members do you have there? Okay, my club, I've got about 75, give or take. The other club in town is bigger. They have 150, maybe. Okay, They're nice. So collectively in Tucson there, we're up over, like, right around 225 members. So that's, that's pretty solid. Oh, yeah. Bronze fans travel, man. We are everywhere. We, we are indeed. And what is, what is the viewing location for the Northwest Tucson Browns backers? Uh, we're at uh, Native Grill and Wings on the northwest side of town, Cortero and I-10. Perfect. Perfect. Do they put a side uh, like a banquet side, like a banquet room for you guys, or is it just kind of open bar and just some chairs around some uh, different TVs? So they have put us in like a separate room, but we have kind of overflowed that room, so we kind of bleed into the other sections. <laughs> yep. 
uh, that tends to happen. We find uh, when we talk to these Browns backers group, it's like, yeah, well, they give us a spot, but uh, there's a lot more of us than they thought there were. <laughs> yeah, they they underestimate the staggering drawing power of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> I know. If for some reason, year after year, we just keep following our Browns. I don't. You know, are you are you from Cleveland originally, Jesse? Uh, yeah, I was born in Youngstown originally. So okay. from when, from Northeast when did you Ohio. Move out for there. Sure. Uh, my family moved here after the steel mills shut down, so the, this was the early 80s. You know, I, I'm from Ohio, but I mean, I learned to drive, grew up out here. Nice. And so, so we, you know, we, we know that, um, uh, like you said, there's a lot of transplants. The Browns fans definitely travel. Um, and, and besides the Browns backers organizations, um, just being, you know, Browns fans that are all over the place that love to watch Cleveland Browns rain or shine, uh, you know, the Browns backers groups are involved in a lot of community service, a lot of charity work. So is there anything that you guys are involved with out there in Tucson? Uh, yes, absolutely. We uh, support our local community food bank. Uh, you know, we take some of the money from our raffles and uh, we do Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner for uh, the community food bank. And then at the end of the year, you know, basically whatever money is left, they get half. Oh, oh nice. No, that's, that's awesome. And that's what people, I think just the casual Browns fans don't really understand. I mean, most people have heard of the Browns backers. But I think most people on the surface just think of it as, oh, it's just a bunch of Browns fans that get together at a bar and, and watch the game. But there's a lot more to it to that than that. Uh, there's a lot more that you guys do for your communities across the nation and across the world. So, um, you know, kudos to you guys. We really, really appreciate that. And we know, um, you know, Browns fans are good people. Uh, we're from the Midwest and, and we like to give back where we can. So, again, we appreciate that. Um but let's let's kind of turn to football a little bit, Jesse. Uh, uh, what are your thoughts on this this last week's game against the Seattle Seahawks? What do you guys think about that? Uh, you know, it was a close game on the road in a tough location. You know, we don't have a lot of our starters. Uh, I don't love that we lost, but I mean, I think they put up a fight. What can yeah. you say about it? You know, that 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 third and three play at the end. I mean, a lot of people say run the ball, run the ball, but I mean. I'm not the coach, you know, I don't have to live or die by those decisions. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. That's fair. It, it is funny. I mean, our whole show is built on stressing out about these things that we literally shouldn't be stressing out about at all, but we do on a weekly basis. So, um, we let the Cleveland Browns uh, dictate our mood in life and, and, and here we are. So, um, yeah, right. No, but I, I agree with you. I mean, it, it was, like you said, hostile environment. We have a lot of injuries. So it's weird because as much as we all wanted them to win the game, it's almost like it's not surprising that we lost. <laughs> so, I mean, honestly, I feel like we owed the universe one after the last couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we've we've won a couple close games that we probably had no business winning. Um, so it's, it's yeah. about time we got ours. <laughs> True, um, but no, I, I mean, like so how that, do you think? Yes, yeah, yeah. How how do you think the Browns have looked so far this season? I mean, the the one game against Tennessee where, where I feel like I was watching the team that I was led to believe we would expect, and that game. Went okay. The the rest, you know, dealing with all these other challenges, you know, I feel the front office maybe let us down a little bit by not having a veteran quarterback in the building. I think maybe they could have done more to find another running back. That's, you know, but we're coming up to the trade deadline. Who knows what might happen? Let me ask you. So you said there was not the team that you were led to believe. Who led you to believe it was different? 
Like, I guess, like, what was what was the narrative? I guess that you guys were hearing out there. Uh, well, I mean, you just you know, on paper, you know, we hear that a lot. On paper, we have all this talent, right? We have all, all these good players. You know, my they, favorite they, phrase in sports. <laughs> right, right, right. And so, you know, we just we have better players than the team that we've seen on the field most of the time. I feel like we can do better. But do you attribute that to the front office, to the media, to the the players, the team? Coaching, coaching. Well, I mean, I feel like it's on Browns fans to a certain extent because we always assume that this is our year. And when I get any kind of reflection of that from the greater world, be it the media or other fans, it makes me feel validated and like maybe I'm not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, there was a I mean, lot that's of noise. A that's what I, I will just, say. Uh, we all get, we all kind of just of media, coming into the media, season. It seems fans. like every year, even when we have looking back and hindsight being 2020, a terrible roster. We're like, yeah, it's going to be a good year. And, and I, I feel like instantly Jesse has calmed me down. Like, I was, <laughs> <laughs> like, like he brought you back to earth. He was He's like, like, wait a minute, guys, it's just football. It isn't this serious? <laughs> <laughs> Jesse is the calming voice that we did not know. <laughs> we the voice of reason. So we the really hero are, we, the hero. We knew, we didn't know we needed. Yeah, so we really appreciate that, Jesse. <laughs> We've been fuming the whole first half of our show today, and, and uh, uh, you've you've helped calm us down a little bit. But I mean, with that being said, and the fact that we are not GMs, um, <laughs> what I mean, going forward, what do you think we can expect the rest of the season, including this this game coming up against the team in your backyard, the the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, yeah, I mean, we could see the the return of Josh Dobbs to Cleveland. You know, I think we should have held on to that guy. I don't feel like I feel like having him available to us would be worth more than the fifth round pick that we gave up to send him off. But now he's coming back to town with a very real chance to beat us, and so we'll see what happens. You know, I, I understand. I hear that Arizona's not a great team. I've heard some say that maybe Youngstown State could beat them. I don't know about all that. No, I've been led to believe they're not a strong down. team, and we should win. But we'll see. Yeah, ab- that depends absolutely. on who we've got playing quarterback, and maybe even <clears throat> running back. No, good points there. Um, and, and you know, who, who knows? Because everybody's talking about PJ Walker not being very good. Um, the, like you said, the trade deadline is coming up. So, if are you, we going to get another one? Or are we not? If you were the GM and you had to stress out about this type of thing, who would you? If you could bring in any quarterback, I guess right now, just to kind of play tread, tread water here until Deshaun gets back, who would it be? Uh, well, I mean, I hear a lot of noise that people want Jacoby Brissett back, and I liked him as a quarterback, but, I mean, he's backing up a rookie and would cost us draft assets to bring him back. Yeah, I feel like there are other quarterbacks that are veterans that are out there that wouldn't cost us cost us draft assets. Uh, I mean, what's Joe Flacco doing? What's Matt Ryan doing? I mean, he's on TV, but he's said that he would play if someone made the phone call. You know, I hope that we will make the phone call. There are other quarterbacks out there that, should be available and i don't feel like we tried very hard to bring any of them to town well even even younger than those guys i mean i look at like a carson wentz who i mean he's not good by any stretch of the imagination but he's got to be better than pj walker or maybe make a move for a james right like james you know, he, wentz, like somebody yeah there are guys out there that you know are not on a team that are maybe better than the guy that we signed and i will leave it at that yeah. no i mean it, it is uh it is frustrating, though, that, that they're all out there and they're just kind of, some of them are just sitting there literally playing for nobody. And, and here we are just uh, 
We're just happy trotting out PJ Walker every week to his three turnovers. Um, and, and not that yeah. I, we have anything against PJ Walker. I mean, on the show, you know, we understand he was put into a terrible situation. Um, he was right. brought to the team and then immediately told to start, I don't know, four days after he got here. Um, so it's not been a, a, an easy road for PJ Walker and he seems like an okay guy, but he's just not very good at quarterback. And so, you know, we need, we need some help there and, and it's, it's, distressing that we haven't done something about it but um um can we take a step a quick step back so were you guys um all together when uh, the pittsburgh game came on were you guys watching that that week uh yeah yeah that was that was, was a tough one man we, we should have won what was what was the reaction i guess just just in general when nick chubb went down oh oh man like it, it, not only do we like him as a player but he's like the lifeblood like the driving force of this team and the offense and just when he went down like it's like the air went out of the room really yeah no it really wasn't and it was, i think it was devastating for all browns fans i think uh just <sighs> just to get over the fact that he was hurt and we in the realization like he's definitely done for the season after you see the hit obviously um yeah i mean, I mean it when, took when us a full like week to get over it. part of what you do i mean that's tough all the way around yeah, but it took us like a full full week, if not longer, to get over it. We were like, oh, it's just so depressing coming back to the Browns every day knowing that Nick Chubb isn't going to be there. It's true. Like, I wish it was a, a bad dream. Yeah. That's what I kept saying. For sure. And so, um, real quick, uh, back to your guys' chapter here. Um, do you guys have any events coming up uh, that, that you guys are looking forward to or that you're putting on? Uh, like I said, we meet for the games every week. Uh tend to do a uh, you know little prize raffle some announcing that kind of stuff uh, we don't usually do like a big event until the off season and uh, we will have our our get together usually before the super bowl awesome so is most of your uh, like charity revenue driven just by events uh, during the browns games or do you do any other um, like activities i guess to try and drive any kind of revenue for that or is it pretty much primarily just the, what you guys collect during the games uh, it's primarily during the games. Like I kind of run this club by myself. There's not a extended staff of people that I can rely on to, you know, call and bother businesses to donate things or you know that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I want to get to that point. Yes, yeah. we do sell. We have our club T-shirts and through from our uh, website, uh, Brownsbackers.com, There is a nice. link to the merch store, and people can go on there and you know just buy T-shirts, hoodies coffee cups that kind of stuff do they wear a lot of hoodies in, in arizona you know i have tons but i rarely get to wear them <laughs> like i went back to ohio for a wedding not long ago and i took all my hoodies because i would finally get to put them on <laughs> like thank god yeah <laughs> oh man no um but uh, uh listen so if if anybody else out there is kind of thinking about joining a browns backers chapter if they've moved away from ohio uh, and are looking for, for, you know, those like-minded individuals, what would you say to somebody that's thinking about joining? Ah, definitely join, uh, you know, go on, uh, clevelandbrowns.com slash fans, and they have links to all the fan stuff, including the, uh, Browns backers, the backer tracker, where you can go and find a club located near wherever you happen to live. I think we have them in like 172 countries or something like that. There's bound to be one close by. <laughs> yeah, I know I was visiting uh, Ireland earlier this season and there's like, I know that there's a Dublin Browns backers group, but I'm pretty sure there was like three other ones just in Ireland. And I was like, geez, we're literally everywhere. <laughs> yeah, there's a, a couple in the UK. There's one in Germany. I mean, all over the place. 
Yeah, the Germany one, uh, that, that one would be a fun one to talk to, too, especially they just, they, they're starting to get more football games over there. So yep. they're probably, they'll be excited if the Browns ever make it out that way. Um, but no, listen, Jesse, hey, it's been uh, fantastic talking to you. I mean, um, you know, what can we say? You guys, like I said, the Browns backers are always out there doing great things, not just rooting for the Browns, which is phenomenal in itself, but uh, doing great things for their community. So I'm sure Tucson really appreciates what you do, the food bank out there. Um, probably really appreciates what you do. So, um, you know, we appreciate you being on the show. Um, we loved having you. And uh, we and, look and forward to... And you have to- a score for this week. Oh, yeah, I forgot to ask you. That's, that's <laughs> an important one. What's your score prediction for this week's game? Uh, let's see. I will say 27-17, Browns. Perfect. Nice. I like that. Book it. Yeah, if you get it right, uh, you know, we'll, we'll have to give you a shout-out on our social media. I know... Uh, uh, the girl from the, uh, who do we talk to? Jessica from, Seattle. from Seattle Browns backers last week, got, got the score, score right, right, but the, <laughs> it was the wrong way. So, oh. uh, yeah, so we'll, so we'll give you a shout out if you, if you get the score right, but, um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us. Like I said, you know, we know that your time is valuable, so thanks for taking a little bit of it and joining us on the show. Yeah, sure thing, guys. Have a good day. Take it easy. Awesome. Go Browns. Yes, sir. We are the Northwest Tucson Browns backers, and you're listening to the Burning River Sportscast. Go Browns! Good talking to Jesse out there, huh? I gotta give me an Arizona hoodie. Yeah, I think what we should start doing is uh, just because all of these these funds go to like like charitable causes, we should just buying start buying merch. buying yeah. merch from every single Brownsbackers group. We, we we can actually do this retroactively. We'll go back and, and buy uh, merchandise from all the Brownsbackers that we we'll put on a wall somewhere. Yeah, we are getting a new studio soon. So yes, yes, this, keep this, an eye out for that. This studio is going away. It's going away. It's going away. It's going to be gone soon. Uh, but that'll take us to the Burning River Sports Guys Hot Dig Online. Yeah, down. He wasn't able to get the same excitement that we usually get after that. You do me this time. Boom. Okay. Talk about the Hot Take Hotline. Don't forget to call and leave your hot takes on the Hot Take Hotline. Remember, these are hot takes. We want hot takes. We want hot takes. We want hot takes. That might have been the best one we've done so far. We want hot takes. You heard it here first. So 330-227-8080. Boom. 330-227-8080. 330-227-8080. Call now. Operators are... Not standing by. <laughs> nice. Perfect. He nailed it. And guys, guess what? What? It's time. It's time for a quick revenue break. Oh. So yeah, it's we're gonna profit break. Yeah, we're gonna take that quick break, and then we'll get back here uh, to talk to Browns alumni, alumni, alum, Browns alum Dave Zastadil, and then preview the Week Nine matchup against his former team, the Arizona Cardinals. Yes. Oh, I guess I'm doing this right now. Uh-huh. Towpath Distillery. Towpath Distillery, an award-winning craft distillery located in Akron, Ohio. Towpath Distillery focuses on high-quality spirits carefully made in small batches. 
Topaz lineup includes an ultra-smooth, award-winning premium vodka, a small-batch silver rum made from the highest-grade molasses, an American craft gin made with nine botanicals, and a blended straight bourbon made from corn and rye. Towpath Distillery, now available locally and in 44 states. Visit towpath-distillery.com to place your order online or find an OHLQ retailer near you. Towpath Distillery, handcrafted, award-winning, small-batch, local, and family-owned. All Cleveland Coffee. All Cleveland Coffee is a coffee company that launched earlier this year in Cleveland, as the name would suggest. Founded by Browns legend and Hall of Famer Joe Thomas and six-time heavyweight champion of the world in the UFC, Stipe Miocic, along with a team of several other brilliant Clevelanders. All Cleveland Coffee is on a mission to give one million meals back to the community through an official partnership with the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. How will they do this, you ask? With every bag purchased, three meals get donated to the food bank. It's an awesome idea. A bunch of great individuals are involved, and the result is the best coffee in Cleveland, bar none. It comes in three roasts, light, medium, and dark. Dark is what Joe Thomas drinks. I'm a medium roast guy. I've been converted by my co-host here, Kenny Thunder. Kenny, you're a medium roast guy, guy, right? Yes. Nice. All Cleveland coffee. All Cleveland coffee. Visit all-cleveland.com today to order your coffee and donate a few meals in the process. All Cleveland coffee, ethically sourced, premium roasted, and three meals donated for every bag purchased. Do the right thing. <laughs> Do the right thing. <clears throat> okay, everybody. So before we get into the week nine preview, let's take a few minutes to talk to another Cleveland Browns legend that will be joining us on the Cleveland Browns fan cruise. Powered by Riverside FM. Alright, so our next guest is a master of special teams, which any of our listeners know we appreciate more than most. Born and raised in Northeast Ohio and resides here still, his career statistics include 869 punts for 38,016 yards, that's 43.7 yard average, in case you were wondering, 285 punts inside the 20, and NFL records include most punting yards in a season, 5,209 in 2012, and in that same year, he had the most punts inside the 20 in a season with 46. But let's let him tell you about it himself. Please welcome one of the punting greats, Dave Dave, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for taking the time to join us here. Um, now, before we get to some of the questions that we have for you uh, and, and about you yourself, uh, we want to talk about a big event that we have coming up that, that you'll be attending with us this spring. Uh, I'm talking, of course, about the Cleveland Browns fan cruise in March of 2024. Uh, it is confirmed you'll be there kicking punts off the back of the ship to the trained orca whales that SeaWorld has released into the wild. All right, maybe that's not happening, but still, you'll you'll be there. Uh, you'll be having fun with us. Uh, we are emceeing all the events on the cruise. We'll be on the cruise, kind of hosting everything, and we can't wait to join you. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about the Cleveland Browns Fan Cruise? Yeah, sure. Uh, it's going to be a really fun event. Anytime you can get former players together, um, you know, in a socially relaxed environment, you not only you have – you know, people, you know, alumni from all different decades coming to this, but you're going to have kids on the cruise. You're going to have families and, 
you know, to get everybody together and, and have activities on the cruise, um, you know, you know, walk around, be with kids, see everybody just have a good time. All that does is really bring together the Browns organization and their alumni back together to really enjoy a good time, to help promote um, just a fun event that, you know, I don't think the Browns have ever done this in the past. And, and I know there's been organizations that have done it. It's been very successful. I know past players and talking to them have had a great time on these cruises. And that's one of the biggest reasons I wanted to, to take part in this is really to be with the fans, talk old memories, get those guys excited about the Browns, whether it's this year, going into next year. Um, you know, it, it's truly going to be fun and it takes place in March. And if you haven't gotten a ticket or tickets are still left, um, come aboard. We'll have a good time. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, everybody's definitely excited about this and we will come back to the fan cruise and talk about that a little bit more. But, um, while we have you on the program, we want to talk about you. Um, so let's get into your story a little bit. I know that, like I said, in the, in the opening here, uh, born and raised in Ohio, uh, where'd you go to high school? So I went to Bay Village High School, uh, about 20 minutes west of Cleveland for, nice. you know, maybe there's some people that aren't familiar with the area, but yeah, I went there, graduated in 1997. I was born and raised. Uh, I know, you know, everyone always talks about St. Ignatius and St. Ed's around here, the big football programs, but we had a great senior class and I uh, grew up playing with those kids and I wanted to see what we could do and uh, had a great, great high school career. Uh, one of the best Probably the best moments of your life is Friday under the lights. No matter what era you play in, how, what level you play in, you can't beat Friday night lights. You know, it's funny that you say that. We were literally just talking about that before we started uh, started recording here. Uh, my board man and I were saying, you know, if we could just live our lives and have our adult lives, but also play high school football <laughs> and feel like you felt after a high school football game and not be hurting real bad afterwards. <laughs> It'd be like yeah. the greatest thing that could ever happen. <laughs> yeah, and then we wish our bodies now felt like they did back when we were 18. Unfortunately, that's not the case. <laughs> no, no. We, we did an alumni game uh, for our high school. Not, it was probably, uh, I don't know, five, ten years after we graduated. And uh, I felt like I got hit by a truck yeah, the entire next day. That wasn't fun. <laughs> so, uh, God so bless you guys. I don't know if I could do that, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> were you so? Were you a specialist all the way through high school, or did you dabble in and try and play other other positions? Yeah, so I, I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to start at quarterback my sophomore year. And so I played quarterback sophomore, junior, senior year. The head coach one time, uh, he didn't have a punter, and he says, hey, guys, line up on the side of the field. And on the other side of the Bay practice field, we have a bunch of trees. And there's about four or five of us, and he said, whoever can kick that ball farthest, you're my punter. I mean, it was really that simple. So <laughs> I think I was the last to go, and everybody got it just across, the, you know, about 52, 53 yards away. And I think my punt went like up in the trees. So he says, absolutely, you're my guy. And so when I was in high school, I, I punted, was quarterback. And then my senior year, I, I became the place kicker as well. And with those positions, I didn't play too much on defense. When I did, it was more at the, uh, the safety position. Nice. Nice. So just a stroke of fate there, I guess. Like, here, kick the ball as far as you can, and you happen to hit a good one that time, right? Yeah, well, I always had a, I always had a pretty good leg when I was a kid playing youth soccer, and, you know, back then we played a ton of kickball, and so I always just kicked that ball, and it was just a God-given talent. And uh, once I kind of started working at it a little bit, I said, wow, I think uh, I think I could probably do this in college, and that's kind of where that, that you know, that kind of led to. So, but yeah, I, was, I wanted to play quarterback in college more than anything, but you know, I, I was only good enough to play Division One as a punter, so um, I took that route. 
Yeah. No, and that's, that's awesome. And you mentioned college. You did end up at Ohio University, if I'm not mistaken. So tell us a little bit about your time at OU. Yeah, so I went on a couple of recruiting trips. I was recruited heavily by the Mid-American Conference. A lot of the big schools back then, Ohio State's, uh, the world, the West Virginia's in the world, if you're looking at a couple big-time schools I was recruited by, they want you to come on and walk on because they get everybody that wants to play there. So they get 10 or 11 punters, and then you compete, and then you're a preferred walk-on. Well, when I went to Ohio University, it's where my mom went. My dad and brother went to Miami of Ohio, so it was kind of split right down the middle. And at the end of the day, uh, I liked what Jim Grobe was doing at Ohio University, came over from the Air Force Academy, and we, we had a great class. I mean, I, I loved everyone I met. I loved the facilities, um, loved the uh, university in general. I kind of made the decision that if I got hurt, tore my knee up, tore an Achilles, is this the place I'd want to get an education at? And that was kind of a big part of choosing Ohio University. So. Um, yeah, went there and I uh, was a third string quarterback my freshman year and, and Jim Grove brought in the option. And so I got crushed in the spring game because I run like a four, nine 40. He pulled me aside. He said, Zassadil, you're just going to be our punter. And that's it. So I was red shirted. And then, and then for four years, um, you know, I, I had some pretty, pretty good awards, pretty good accolades and, you know, it, it led to some good things. But, uh, yeah, at first I, I tried to prove that I was a quarterback at OU and it just didn't work out. So in another stroke of fate. The the worst offense that they could possibly install for you got installed in your quarterbacking days. Were oh, over. by far the worst. Yeah, not, there's, yeah, exactly. Could have uh, been, been worse. Oh yeah, so it, it worked out. Um, no, and and that's that's awesome. And I know you said you had some accolades. You're being pretty modest. I know you were an All American as a freshman. Uh, Max Special Teams Player of the Year as a sophomore. Uh, pretty pretty big awards that you won there, huh? Yeah, I was always. I always looked up to a guy named Brad Maynard. Um, Brad Maynard punted about 17 years for the Bears, and he went to Ball State. And so our recruiting coordinator was a guy named Ray McCartney. And Ray always talked about, as times of Ball State, this Brad Maynard guy, who I think was the only punter ever to get Defensive Player of the Year in, in, in a conference. So uh, he'd show me some tape. And I remember going through it saying, I kind of want to become the best punter in Mid-American Conference history. And I, I took on that challenge even though Maynard had some unbelievable, you know, awards and some stats behind him. And who knows how that ever ended up, but he kind of motivated me to, to be a great, great punter. Um, and, you know, I took it very serious. You know, sometimes you wish you could go back and, and realize that maybe going to the bar one night during the week wasn't good for practice. But <laughs> at the end of the day, I matured as I got older, uh, worked out really hard, and, and then good things came from it. But, uh, you know, I really, really enjoyed the, the, our time with Mac. So yeah. it, at what point did you kind of realize that you had the leg, an NFL leg? Um, you know, obviously you start, kind of started in high school there, booting it over the trees. But like, <laughs> what, what was the moment or was there a mentor or a coach that kind of was like, hey, you know, you, you have what it takes? Yeah, probably one moment that always sticks out to me is we were playing Wisconsin. My, my, my redshirt freshman year at Wisconsin, and, and we didn't have a chance to win. <laughs> So we, we punted a ton, and I, w- I was extremely nervous because it was my first big, big-time game, big environment, and I just wasn't hitting my first two balls very good. But in practice, I was hitting you know, 65, 70-yarders. I was placing it where I wanted. I remember Jim Grobe coming up, grabbing me by the shirt, and literally like almost, almost punching me, but getting my attention, saying, you know, you are good enough to be one of the best punters in this league for a long time. Relax and just do what you do in practice. And I think it just kind of dawned on me that, you know, he really believed in me. 
And then I finished that game really strong with a good average. And after that, my college career just took off. Um, I relaxed. I realized I could do it. Um, and, it, you know, it's always one of those moments or twos that just stick out with you. And him kind of getting my face going, hey, man, like, you're good enough to do this. I've seen you do it in practice. Just pretend we're at practice. And then things change for, for the better. And, you know, I started really, really booming the ball after that. It's phenomenal. Yeah, that's awesome. I think we all have a moment with a coach, um, even if we didn't go on to do greater things where we're like, uh, you know, it just really sticks out as, as, a, as a leadership moment that helped you along the way. Um, one thing I did hear you mention, too, uh, was you said part of the reason you chose Ohio University was because if you were going to get if something was going to happen and you weren't playing football anymore, you wanted to be able to get a, a good education, and that was where you wanted to do it. Uh, you are a double major in finance and marketing, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So all while yeah, playing football, then, you you double major <laughs> and, and spending nights at the bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's easy to do that down in Athens. It's easy to do that. But, That's true. Yeah. They they are. Uh, I think they're known for partying a little bit. I could be wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, my my dad was always in business growing up, and my dad was always a big stickler on grades all the way through high school, junior high. And, you know, my, I would say, in all honesty, my brother and my dad were those very analytical. They see something they remember forever where I was more of, you know, I got good grades, but I had to study. And I remember that work ethic that he kind of installed in me, um, you know, really let me, led me to get into a high university and say, hey, if football ends, which, you know, there's a good chance I'm not going to play after college uh, at the time. And that work ethic that I think he installed with me allowed me to, you know, do the double major, take on that challenge and realize, hey, do some internships when you can, you know, everything you can do to set yourself up in life. And I think that was part of the reason uh, why I took on the double major and why I did internships and why, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat in a, a pretty good career after football was all because of having that, you know, uh, I would say, I guess you could say father figure installing that in me as a young guy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, I know you said there was a pretty good chance you weren't going to play after college, but in fact, you did play after college, and you were drafted by the Ravens in the fourth round in 2002. I know you spent a few years there. Uh, we're not going to focus on them because we don't really like them. Um, uh, we're going to talk about the Cleveland Browns, and you did come over to the Browns as a free agent in the two, uh, before the 2006 season. Uh, so tell us about your time with the Cleveland Browns. Well, it's funny you mentioned uh, the Ravens because when I got to Baltimore, it was still the same staff that was in Cleveland when they moved. I mean, the same trainer, Ernest Biner, was my running back coach. Uh, that you know, Ed uh, Tessendorf was a trainer. Ed Carroll was. I mean, the stories about Cleveland was fantastic to me because I grew up going to Municipal State with my dad. So I'm sitting here in the Ravens facility talking about old Browns days all the time, and I don't know if it got like too much, but it was kind of cool because Ozzie Newsom sometimes would talk about it. And that was kind of fun. So I told people I played for the old Browns and I played for the new Browns. So it kind of worked out. But, <laughs> well, so before uh, you actually talk about your time with the Browns, that you actually mentioning that it, it reminded me of something. Do you have um, like any stories about like what was the the the? It was there a lot of bad blood between the Ravens uh, within their organization, like towards Cleveland? Because I know obviously it's a big rivalry. Um, we all say they took our team, so we hate them. But do, is it is it reciprocal? Do they hate us as much as we hate them over there? I, no, I, I don't think so. Um, they were still somewhat of a new organization. They were just coming fresh off a Super Bowl, so the last thing on their mind was really Cleveland, right? I mean, they were they were focusing on how to 
you know, we became that next year and a half, I think, I think I came there in the second year, but we, we became the youngest team in the history of the National Football League like that. I mean, it, they went from a Super Bowl to going to a super young team. Uh, you know, Cleveland was, they just, they just weren't very good. Um, they had that good year under Butch Davis. So, you know, I think for the Ravens, it was always Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh. I mean, that was always back then when we played them. And honestly, the Tennessee Titans, you know, those were the big rivalries back then with, you know, Steve McNair and, 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 you know, and Eddie George. So the focus wasn't really on Cleveland as much as Cleveland's focus was on Baltimore because of the move. But, um, you know, I think, you know, that rivalry slowly has become, you know, a little bit more of a rivalry in the past two to three years. Yeah, for sure. But I'll tell you a funny story real quick. And I know, I know, I I know we got to move on, but when I got to Baltimore, um, you know, they, they were not happy they drafted a punter in the fourth round. I mean, it's like Cleveland drafted a punter in the fourth round. Like, this guy better be Janikowski, Sebastian Janikowski on steroids, right? So We drafted Kit York need. in the fourth round. You saw how that worked out. Yeah, you're right. So it, uh, it was a need position. So I get to, I get to Baltimore, and, and their equipment manager comes up to me, and he hands me number 19. He goes, hey, you know, I just want to let you know this has been a pretty historic number in the, in the franchise with Johnny Unitas. Nobody's worn number 19 since Johnny Unitas has. And I go, hold on. I said, give me any other number besides this. There's no way I'm going to come in as a punter. Nobody's happy to draft it and taking Johnny United. That's too much pressure for me. So they ended up giving me number 15. So I was, I was thankful. <laughs> Man, that is crazy. Of all the numbers they could choose, they came with 19. Uh, no, oh, I but, don't believe it. Yeah, but like I said, uh, tell us a little bit about your time uh, with the Cleveland Browns. I know you were there uh, 2006 to 2010, correct? Correct. Yeah. Uh, um, Phil Savage, who helped draft me in Baltimore, became the general manager. And, and at the time, uh, they were really looking to fill in, fill the position, uh, the punter position. I know Chris Gardaki was a very consistent guy they had. Then they had a couple years that the position just wasn't panning out the way they wanted. And I felt I was really I was, you know, 2005 was a great year for me and I was coming into my prime. And I knew coming to Cleveland, there was advantages and disadvantages. The advantages were I got family here. I grew up a Browns fan, lifelong dream to play for them. Disadvantages are you got terrible wind. You know, you got brutal, you know, November, December games as a punter. It's not easy to kick in Cleveland. And I think you found that out on Sunday. But, you know, I went out to dinner with Jerry Rossberg, the special teams coach, and Phil Dawson. And I spent about a good two hours with both those guys. And Baltimore is doing everything they could to resign me. And Phil's like, no, 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 we want you to come back to Cleveland. At the end of the day, you're making the decision on, I got an organization for four years, treated me very well, brought me in the league, took a chance on me, but it's home. You know, and I think for me, it came back and going, I want to fulfill a lifelong dream. But it wasn't an easy decision because you're leaving a, a team that really got you in the NFL, believed in you. And that was a hard decision, but got to Cleveland. Romeo Cornell was the coach. I just think under Romeo, um, you know, we were a very young team. We were a little bit of an immature team. And I think Romeo was the perfect head coach for a veteran team. And I think, you know, when he left, they brought Mangini on to bring kind of that, hey, let's, look, we're bringing a tough mentality, a hard-nosed mentality. And I think, and I, and I just, I, I, a lot of people don't agree with me, but I think Mangini's last year he was here, he was starting to turn the ship. It was starting to go in the right direction. And the players believe that because he went away from trying to be kind of that Bill Belichick disciple. And we started to see Eric Mangini the way he was and, and the personality he had come out. We were beating New England. We were beating the Giants. 
And I really believe if he had another year or two, I think we would have been really given up in that right direction. So I was personally sad to see that happen. But at the same time, um, I left the team. I had a bad injury, um, you know, rehabbed. And then Reggie Hodges goes down with Achilles. My agent, Neil Cornrich, you know, we, him and I discussed. We went back to Cleveland and said, hey, Dave Zassel is ready. He wants to re-sign with Cleveland. He's fully healed. And for some reason, I believe it was Tom Hecker at the time, just didn't want to go down that road. I don't know why. We don't know why. So then I got an opportunity with Arizona. But fans don't really know that. We pushed hard to re-sign in Cleveland once Reggie Hodges, unfortunately, went down with the Achilles. Well, it was Cleveland's loss because obviously in 2012 with the Cardinals is your best year of your career. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I ended up having a good, good few years in the Cardinals. And I, that's what we said to Cleveland. Hey, man, I have some good years left. I, I feel really good. But that's the NFL, right? There, there's decisions you don't understand. But as long as there's an opportunity knocking in Arizona, I had an opportunity to play against, uh, you know, the Pro Bowl alternate, a guy named Ben Graham, big, big Australian guy. Chances weren't really good for me to make the team, but you know I went in, worked really hard, rehabbed, and and uh, beat out Ben and earned the job. No, that's awesome. And and so with with some of these experiences, um, I got to ask you do, you: do you have any advice that you have for like current players, um, especially as they're kind of trying to navigate their careers, maybe switching teams or doing things like that? Yeah, I would. You know, I, I first of all, and I, I hate to say it this way because it's. You know, football is still a sport and, you know, the fans get so honed in on their own players. But you really have to talk to your family about decisions like that. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, it depends when you're a young guy, you'll go sign anywhere because you want to get good tape on on for other teams to see. And you want to show you're a good player. And if the opportunity presents itself with that position opening, you have a good chance to make a dent as a player in the league and get on film. The other, pro- the other side of that thing is, too, as you get older, you have family, you have kids that start getting in school districts, and it's hard to keep moving them around if the wife's happy, they like the school system, they start making friends. So I think it just depends on what stage you are in your career that helps make those decisions. But at the end of the day, guys, unfortunately, we don't play this game very long. So, you know, when you see guys holding out for the money, you see guys not taking a hometown discount. You know, I, a lot of times I don't blame them because, you know, most of these guys are, were out of this league in five, six, seven years, and you miss that first five, seven, eight years of getting experience in the real world. So you're already, you're already behind the eight ball. So the more the most money you can save, put away, and invest, you know, it's a big, big advice I have for those guys. And I see so many guys blowing their money, and they don't realize until they're out of the league how big of a mistake that was. Yeah, no, great advice there. I, I do know you, you, there are a lot of horror stories out there about uh, guys that were big names in the NFL that you know are are, are dead broke now dead and have broke, no yeah. money to to do anything with. So, um, um, yeah. Dave, let me ask you. So, I mean, it, you're you're a punter, so obviously you kind of know your place in the the order of football. Does it? Did you ever envision being kind of the fan favorite that you were just being a specialist? I mean, it's, a, you know, receivers and quarterbacks, they get all the accolades, but, like, everybody in Cleveland still loves Dave Zassett. Like, your name comes up, like, people like, they light up, like, oh, yeah, like, those, those are, you know, even though they weren't good teams, I think it was because we saw a lot of you. I mean, you kicked a lot of balls for the Browns, but. Dave was always booming punts. I mean, did you ever, does that ever, does that ever just register? Like, how, what, what are your, your feelings around that? Well, I think it's great. I probably what influenced that a little bit is the fact that I I was born and raised in Cleveland, the west side of Cleveland, went to college in Ohio. I wanted to come here. I was part of that free agent class with Joe Jarevicius, with Charles Bentley, 
uh, Bob Hallen, guys that were from Ohio to try to get the team to understand what it's like to really be a Cleveland Brown and influence that locker room. So I think that probably had a little bit to do with that. And that, that's okay with me. I, I, I'm just as big as a fan of the Browns and probably everybody in those seats in the stadium. But also, we had a lot of opportunities to punt the ball. And I think at that time with the teams we had, if Phil Dawson could make field goals, if Dave Zassel could punt him inside the 20 or change field position, it gave you, it gave an average team a better opportunity to win a game. And I think fans in Cleveland understand the game of football. They understand how big special teams are. And I think that they appreciated the work that Phil and I did. I just wish I could have done it a little bit longer. And I didn't even learn that end-over-end pooch kick until I got to Arizona. So I wish I had that in my repertoire in Cleveland. I think I would have been a lot more dangerous um, and, and a little bit more effective than, than, than I was. Uh, you're, that's you're, just a scary thought because yeah, you're, you're still pretty, pretty damn effective. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh yeah, but that you know once you learn that that end over end Aussie kick, I mean, if once you, it's like it's it's like no different than golf. You start getting around, you know, the forty yard line. You know how hard to hit it, and most of the time it's going to spin backwards at the seven eight yard line. And man, I once I learned that, I had that down pat, and I was like, man, if I had that in Cleveland, I think I would have been even better than than some you know some of the fans think I was, and. Uh, no, t- t- totally fair, but again, I mean, we were <laughs> incredible the time you were here. But um, other yeah. question I had too is just from your perspective, what separates some of the the better specialists from the ones that just don't have it? So I think in Cleveland, we've seen a lot of punters come through um, that have been here a year or two or replaced kind of um, you know, interchangeably. Whereas you kind of had um, decent stints everywhere you went. I mean, you were there for f- four or five years um, and had a nice long career c- kicking the ball. Um, what, 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 what's the difference between, you know, the, the better, the better specialists and the ones that are kind of transient out there that can't find a place? That's a good question. I think the biggest thing is consistency. You have to be consistent. Um, you have guys that come into the league that had some of the biggest legs I've ever seen, but you know, they hit a bomb, they hit a great kick, they missed two, hit a great kick, missed two. And the ones that stayed around a long time, the guys that I grew up met, watching, like the Craig Hendricks of the world, I love Shane Leckler, you know, Pat McAfee, when he was when he was punting, was very consistent, had great legs. But you're always going to look back at your career and always wish that you're always hard on yourself. So I always thought I could be more consistent than I was. And in a lot of times, I thought I could be better than I was. But at the same time, there's a lot of conditions that come into play of where I've kicked, Baltimore, Cleveland. Um, for my first eight, nine years was, you know, you had a lot of tough weather half the year that you had to really try to drive that ball, place it a little different, lower the drop because of the wind in your face and the crosswinds because you're playing in the AFC North. So it changes a lot. But I do think today's punters, for some reason, you know, I watch football all the time. They're big, they're strong, they're consistent. And I just think that's just the evolution of the game of, um, you know, guys really working on the craft. And I think when you're younger now, even in high school, because I see my own kids in high school and in junior high, there's so many more avenues now for kids to get better and start these things at an earlier age. I just punted because no one else could do it. I always want to be a quarterback, but now you got kids that are doing just kicking football, punting camps, long snapping camps, and that's all they're doing. And it's good to see because the game's evolving, the position's evolving. Now you got guys doing different types of drops on their punt, knuckleball kicks. It's just really, really evolved more than the average fan would think because they don't really pay attention to those things. They just want to see wins and losses. But it's amazing how, how much kids these days 
have an opportunity to excel at something than than when we were younger. For sure. Yeah. No, and and, and uh, kind of wrapping up with your your time in Cleveland here. I know spending time with the franchise, you you know, it's more than just playing football. You become fr- uh, really close with your teammates, really close with your community. Uh, with that in mind, do you have a favorite off the field memory from your time in Cleveland? <laughs> I got a couple, but it wouldn't be appropriate for the show. Um, <laughs> do, do you have um, any no, PG rated ones? Say, yeah, no, it was nice because we had a really good group of younger core guys. Uh, Joe Thomas lived in Westlake. He'd always have us in his backyard. Um, you know, he'd have college, fo- you know, college football on some days on two Mondays when we had a day off. We'd be in his backyard on cookouts. Um, you know, we'd be playing everything from cornhole to, you know, you know, some fun drinking games, just some fun things to do on your day off. And I think at the end of the day, it was those memories of building team camaraderie. You know, we had really fun Halloween events where everybody come dress up. You kind of meet there and, and, you know, try to see who had the fun costume. But at the end of the day, the off-the-field things that we did is, you know, dinners as a group. Like I said, Joe's parties, Halloween parties. Those are really where you're like, listen, instead of being on the field all the time, coaches yelling at you, guys pointing fingers sometimes, that's really where a team comes together is when they build those kind of relationships from camaraderie off the field. My, my curiosity about Joe Thomas's Halloween it just parties keeps growing. Is, is continuing to grow because we were there. You're like the sixth or seventh person that we've heard talk about Joe Thomas's Halloween parties. parties. They do it out there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, I can promise you nothing ever got out of hand, but it was it was really fun. Joe was just a big, you know, he's a great teammate because he was always laughing, always joking around, always having a good time. And when Halloween came around for a personality like that, it's perfect for him to get those things coordinated and hosted. For sure, no, that's and, awesome. I know you mentioned the like dinners with the team and the group too. Do you have a? a do you guys have a favorite place downtown that was like your your normal spot, or just kind of bounce around all the different different places? We bounce around a lot. A lot of times, you know, we always go to Hyde Park and West like after the game. Uh, they kind of keep Sundays open for us a little bit late when people left, which was kind of nice. Um, but you know, it was kind of cool because Hyde Park. They would have certain if, – if, if you have or have not been there, they got a menu, and it's not a place you go to every night. It's, sure. it's actually kind of almost a date night place. But it was kind of confined. We got this little bar area, and they had you know names of former players on their menu, and they treated us very, very well. Uh, we had some events there, and the general manager always treated us well. But it was very private. We could kind of stick to ourselves, and we wanted to be private, especially after we lost. We don't want to be around people after we lost. So they kind of kept that good for us. But we would bounce around, but that was probably our go-to place back then. Nice. So I got to say, uh, obviously, fantastic career for you. Uh, special teams, as we've mentioned, is often overlooked, but we really appreciate everything you did to try and make the game easier for the other units while you were here in Cleveland. Uh, but I do know for, for most guys, they get sort of this whole second life after football. So uh, can you tell what you're up to today? Are you involved with any charities? Uh, 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 are you involved with the game still? What do you got going on? Yeah, so I can answer that three ways. Number one is I did, I was part of the pregame radio show from, gosh, I would have to say 2019 to 2021, uh, working with Ken Carmen and, you know, Rizzo and those guys. Mm-hmm. 
but then it took away so much from my kids sporting events on Sunday. So I unfortunately had to take a break. I love doing it. Um, I still call in time to time uh, with Baskin and Phelps. They, they asked me on, on some time to time to come in and talk, but my real career for the past eight years is I work as a commercial insurance broker on the property and casualty side for a company called Gallagher. So it's one of the, the big three global brokers. So I do a lot of property and casualty insurance, um, you know, mostly in the manufacturing sector, nonprofits, some construction. So I've been doing that for eight years, doing well, having fun with it. Um, and then also in the nonprofit space, uh, yeah, there has been some charities that I've always been heavily involved in, uh, especially a good friend of mine started one when, you know, his brother, unfortunately, at 27, passed away of throat cancer. So that was a heavy charity uh heavy heart to be part of that charity, but it was great. And probably the biggest thing I'm part of now, if I, I've been coaching uh, the seventh grade class in football for the past three years. And uh, we had back-to-back undefeated seasons. So that was kind of fun being involved in football and, and coaching. Nice. And then we started a nonprofit board uh, for Bay football. It's called the Bay football club from K through eighth grade. We, we try to promote each grade of how we can help, you know, get kids involved in football, grow the program, and it's a nonprofit that we're heavily involved in. So we got a big event in February at the Bay Lodge. It's a poker night. So you'll start seeing that on social media. Everybody can come if you're welcome. Nice. So you you heard that. Uh, make sure you get signed up for the event and you, you head on out and, and support Bay Village, right? Uh, Bay Village, yeah, youth football. Yeah, if you want, if you want to tag us in that, we'll help, we'll help share the whatever information you have on that. That sounds like a great event. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it. I, I, there's only a limited amount of seats, but hey, we can always uh, bring in tents and heaters. So, uh, and you always we'll take donations. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. If you guys repost it, we may have to get this at a, I don't know, like a warehouse. Or something. Hey, I know we're kind of running short on time here, Dave, but I did want to get your opinion on, um, you know, obviously you're involved in the youth sports aspect of it. Um, I think we've heard for the last. 15 years or so, it seems like there's less and less kids coming out. It's just kind of a concerning trend for those of us that love the game and want to continue to see the game grow. Um, Do you have thoughts around that? I mean, have you seen that personally yourself, or do you still feel like you're getting um, good numbers out? It it depends. I think it depends on on the class of kids. I think it depends on... You know, Malta, you got a lot of, in the past probably five to seven years, there's been an enormous focus on concussions. And, and I think rightfully so. I mean, I, th- I think based on when you see with some of these athletes in football with CTE and those, you get, really got to take care of them. And I think the way that they're going about concussions now is, is better for the players' long-term health. But you also have parents, when they, when they see that stuff and they hear about it, get a little concerned with their son playing a fifth-grade football with tackle. You know, even sixth grade, even fourth grade probably has something to do with it. I think another thing is you have the evolving sports out there that we didn't have as a kid. I mean, we never had lacrosse. You know, now you got some of these players that all they do is want to play lacrosse, and that's their sport. Um, they train year-round for it. So you have, you know, some things like that that come into play. But I think at the end of the day, football is America's sport. At the end of the day, we will always have, you know, kids that want to come out and play at all different levels. And now they even have more things that you can do in Canton Hall of Fame. They have the National Flag Football Championships. Our team played in that. In Sandusky, you have, you know, anything from 10, 11, and 12 U state championships after their league games that they place it by school. So attendance in school, the the enrollment, and then they bracket those schools together. And it's a way for kids to continue to play after their season. And that place, I think, in the last three years has gained almost 20, 30% of more teams every year. So. 
football's here to stay, but you know, I think concussions and some other emerging sports have have affected that too. I think the Olympics just signed flag football. Is I think uh, they did too. Yeah, in twenty twenty eight, I think it'll be official sporting Olympics now. So, yeah. 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 Uh, I hope the NFL doesn't keep changing the rules and we turn into fights. Yeah, yeah, it'll be that soon, right? <laughs> oh, man, that's a topic for another day. We'll save that for the cruise. Speaking of which, I am going to bring this back to the time that we get to share on the open ocean. So let's talk about some of the things that everyone should look forward to on that cruise. Uh, Dave, what's the event or activity during the entire cruise that you are looking forward to most? Honestly, there's going to be a lot of fun events throughout the day. Um, all across a cruise ship. Um, great activities for kids. But I think what I'm looking forward to most is I think at night, from what I'm told, we're all going to be able to eat together with families and fans. And that's the time where you can really spend some good quality time with everybody, answer questions, tell them stories, locker room stories, things you don't hear about every day. So I think the moment, that's a little bit more intimate, a little bit more time to really talk to people, walk around, introduce yourself, um, you know, take pictures with kids, give them some autographs. Uh, I don't know. They probably look at me now and, and look at me as an old man, but you know, uh, ho- hopefully they'll still have fun with some 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 older alumni. But that's really what I'm looking forward to is is the intimate time of um, you know talking with the kids, spending time with them. Because activities they come and go, right? The kids want to do the activities. They're just going to run around, climb walls, you know, cornhole, whatever we're doing on the ship. But I think that night when we get to have a chance to sit down and have dinner with them, look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. And just so you know, I'm coming to you first for an autograph. <laughs> yeah, me too. I will, I will save my pen. I won't open it until you come. <laughs> there you go. Uh, no, and, and there is uh, a Browns backers competition out there that I want to talk about uh, for the fan crews. Um, and so basically the chapter with the most bookings will get an all expenses paid balcony cabin for two on the Browns fan cruise. The chapter at the highest members to bookings ratio also gets an all expenses paid ocean view cabin for two. All members of the winning chapter will receive a specialty dining pass for two guests and all members of the winning chapter will receive a Browns fan cruise commemorative Cleveland Browns autographed football. And so with that in mind and, and knowing that there's a competition for Browns backers out there to, to you know, get some of these cabins booked. Do you have anything that you want to say to Browns backers across the nation and honestly across the world? I just want to say thank you. Uh, it's, it's, it's been unbelievable when I played and when I'm, you know, seeing it even in today's game, going to San Diego for a game and seeing a bar, uh, Browns backers bar, you know, going down to Columbus and seeing the events that I've been a part of down there. I mean, Browns fans are everywhere and, you know, they are the best fans in football And I think what's going to happen is we continue to win as an organization, which I think this year we're going to keep that momentum. Everybody around this globe, everybody around the nation, other teams are going to finally see, because, you know, you're going to start paying attention to teams that are winning. And I think when the Browns start winning consistently, everyone's going to see the kind of fans that we really have. And the only people that really know are the opposing players that come in our stadium, because they always have told me, man, what a blessing it is for you to play here because these fans are outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. And so I guess uh, talking about the momentum this year and stuff, one last question, Um, you know, you've seen the team so far this year. How, how do you think they've done and how do you think they will uh, fare the rest of the way? I think the offense has, has been a work in progress. I think the defense has been outstanding. It's elite. You know, it's not good. It's not great. It's elite. You know, that it's at that next level. And this game that we just played will only enhance their confidence, will only enhance that chemistry that they have. So they just got to stay healthy on defense. Special teams, you got one of the best punters in the league. You got one of the best special teams coach in the league. 
and you got a kid in Dustin Hopkins that shows that he can consistently make football footballs plus 50-yard field goals. The only thing now that we have to continue to get momentum on is the offense, and that really revolves around Deshaun Watson. He had a really good game against Tennessee. It's unfortunate with the injury. We're hoping to see him build on that. But if he can continue to take that next step, this is going to be a team that's just complementing each other in all phases of football. And really, there's no ceiling. Um, you, you, you've seen that we beat the best. And you see the other teams yep. out there. To me, there's really there's an opportunity for this team. If they get hot, especially offensively, with the schedule they have, they, they, could, be, they could be a pretty – uh, a pretty formidable opponent. Yeah, but so context for our listeners there. Uh, we are recording this right after the 49ers game. So uh, Dave is talking about the defense, the, the hell of a defensive effort that they put up during the 49ers game. Um, and I also want to say uh, our board man, uh, Bone, is a huge Dustin Hopkins fan. So, Bone, you want to you wanna shout out to Dustin Hopkins real quick? Yeah, he's great. I love Dustin Hopkins, man. <laughs> yeah, so he's been excited all season with what he's done. Um, but, no, Dave, we yeah. really appreciate the time that you've spent with us here. Um, and we're looking forward to doing it again on the cruise. We will be interv- I'm sure we'll have an interview with you again while we're actually on the cruise, um, catching up with you and, and hearing some stories about your time on the ship. So, um, again, Really appreciate um, it. Thanks for being yeah. with us. Yep. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys, for having me on. I appreciate everything you guys do, too. You're, you're getting these fans a, a, an opportunity to really see what it's all about, hear from the players. And I know it takes it takes a lot of hard work and time. So thanks for all your guys' support, too. Yep. You're too kind. Thank you. I'm Dave Zastadil. And you're listening to Burning River Sportcast. Go Browns! Wow! Good times talking to Dave, huh? Um, you know what I was thinking during that interview? What? What were you thinking? Nothing? Because you don't have thoughts because you're a brainless idiot? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That escalated quickly. <laughs> what were you thinking? Um, you know, being a special- Bowman liked it. He thought that was funny. <laughs> being a specialist in the NFL is probably one of the only like pro careers, at least in the NFL, that kind of like you can do something with afterward. Like, yeah. like everybody gets slower, everybody gets fatter, everybody gets less strong. But like, if you could kick a ball sixty yards, like you could kick a lot of things sixty yards. <laughs> <laughs> like, are you saying he could have a career after this? Like, what can you kick sixty yards? Just, like, you would always be the guy that has like party games. Like, hey, it's Fourth of July. Like, let's go watch Dave kick cans. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that's what he does now? No, I would. I don't think that's what he does. He's, you know, I was gonna say I really like the the fact that he's just still living in Northeast Ohio, kind of running a business, uh, raising a family, and and you went with uh, he's out there kicking cans. <laughs> what you saying? So you can probably kick things really far. Can you what, can what, you imagine that guy at the family? reunion kickball game <laughs> oh man he's getting he's getting picked first every time uh, i mean it's got to be one of these things right he's either like a professional kickball player now he runs his own business which i think is what he told us or at least helps run his own business or like like kenny thinks he's just out there kicking cans i'm just saying i think he can probably kick a lot of things really far and it would you know, be a cool party trick that's actually what i thought coming out of the interview you know i bet dave's asked to kick a can so far probably further than anybody i know look here's the thing I'll just say this. 
most people's favorite player is not the punter, but Dave is just one of those like charismatic guys that like he was. It was awesome. I it doesn't matter Dave what position played, Dave like, played. Yeah. Like Dave's a likable guy. He is. He is. Uh, I could talk about Dave all day, but this <laughs> will take us to the week nine preview. <laughs> <laughs> These guys have seen a lot of love, but they're never gonna say that with you. All right, so uh, this week we have the Arizona Cardinals, and Kenny, I know you're dying, so I gotta ask: Do you have any uh, previews or opposition research that you want to talk about? Well, this seems straight up mess. They didn't win many games this year. One, they got a goofy ass coach who's saying "don't shit in the locker room" all year long. <laughs> Um, and uh, who knows who their quarterback's going to be because Josh Dobbs has officially been benched. Um, not sure whether we're going to see Kyler or not. Uh, Gannon was kind of un- indecisive about that so far this week, and if he's not to play, it'll be some fella named Clayton Toon. So, um, cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, outside of that, I mean, this seems just not very good. So. Well, and to, to piggyback off of that, one of my position matchups I had here, it was the Browns' front seven versus Josh Dobbs. Uh, and one of the things I highlighted was Josh Dobbs knows Cleveland, so even though I think that the, the front seven should take it to him, uh, you can't sleep on the knowledge that he has of the Cleveland Browns, but that's apparently out the window. This is a perfect week to bench Josh Dobbs if you're the Arizona uh, coach. What an idiot that what, guy is. What an idiot. Uh, but no, I mean, regardless of who it is, uh, uh, Kyler Murray coming off an injury, uh, whoever this tune guy that you said was uh, possibly playing, I mean, th- this is the week. The Browns' defensive line... Uh, their whole front seven, but specifically their defensive line, needs to just go ham on this dude. Like, they need to just eat him up. Uh, it, like, I'm talking like four or five sacks. Well, yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is they've been injured at running back a lot. Um, so they've been mixing guys in and out there that they really don't have a good running back. Kind of like in the same situation we are where they yeah. just can't find – they can't replace who's a running back, James Conner or whoever. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they just don't have a whole lot going on. They just need to get after him early and often, too, because uh, you just can't let them get any momentum in this game because that's how bad teams stick around and, and steal games is, is they just get a little bit of momentum. They just stay in the game, and then they get a little bit of momentum right at the right time. And Oh, and we love that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, next matchup I had was Browns running backs versus Arizona's D. Uh, the Cardinals ranked 26th in the NFL against the run in yards per game. Uh, our running backs have actually started to play a lot better of late. Um, so I'm hoping that they run the ball efficiently again and we can exploit that. But you know what that takes? Um, Kevin Stefanik has to run the damn ball. Yes. So... I hope that Kevin Stefanik does the right thing. You play, especially if you're playing with XFL again. Let the running backs run the ball. Uh, but as a team, the Cardinals are one in seven. They're coming off a close loss to the Ravens. Uh, the team, it, let's just call it what it is. This team is really, really bad. Uh, but as they proved last week, they are still an NFL football team. Um, so, like I said before, if you let a team stick around for long enough, they will have an opportunity in the end to win it. Um, the Browns need to go in there and take care of business um, early and just not let up. They need to just keep their foot on the gas. Don't let the team stick around. Um, and if we want any shot at making the playoffs, you can't lose these types of games. Like, this is a game, like, in my opinion, even though it's not really a big game in general, it's a must-win game for the Cleveland Browns. Like, you have to win this game. If you have any aspiration to do anything this year, it's a must-win game, sure. Yep. You can't lose to bad teams like this. Um you know, everybody thinks that Josh Dobbs is the big Cleveland advantage this week. But I'll tell you what, 
uh, fourth string center, Chelsea Froholt. Oh, Froholt! He's back! Gonna be the difference maker this week because. Hell yes! Because Is that John, your player to watch? We'll get there. We'll get there. Because John Gaines, Pat Elfline, Tristan Cologne are all hurt. So they're on yeah. their fourth string center. We know the power of Chelsea Froholt as a fourth string center. Hell yes. Hell yes. <laughs> Way to go, Froholt. Uh, but that'll take us to the injury report. Uh, I just said all the centers are hurt except for Yelta Froholt. Um, Lucky sounder. You really stole your own thunder on this one, didn't you? I did, yeah. All right. Say it again. Uh, All the centers are hurt. (laughs) (laughs) Except for Yeltsin for a whole. Do we know what's going on with Deshaun Watson yet? Uh, No, no one knows. So we'll start with the Cleveland Browns. Start with the Cleveland Browns. Oh, great. We're starting with, this is not what I do each week. Start with the Cleveland Browns. I was just kidding. You're going to start with, uh, you're going to start with Arizona. Yeah, I'm starting with Arizona. Obviously, Kyler Murray is the big question mark because if he's healthy enough to play, he would be a difference maker in this game. But it looks like we're going to see Clayton Toon. James Connors on the ice. Two names Clayton Toon. Um, he is six foot three and 220 pounds, so he's a big dude. Um, he's a big tune. Bone's uh, got that in his pants. But they're likely to have uh, uh, Amari DeMarcado as their starting running back coming into this week. Their uh, wide receivers are relatively healthy, um, but their line's a little bit beat up. Like I said, all the centers are gone. Left guard's got some issues there. Elijah Wilkinson's on IR. So as banged uh, up as the Cleveland Browns are, you're telling me they're way worse. <laughs> uh, they're in they're in rough shape, too. They've got two uh, linebackers on IR and uh, another end and another linebacker that were out last week. So, Feels bad. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not good, that's for sure. Um, where did my notes go? Sorry, I'm, I broke myself. He broke uh, himself. Yeah, Kevin Strong, Greg Dorch, and Chris Barnes. Those are uh, the big ones that missed this week. So, what the Browns got going on? I mean, obviously Deshaun Watson is the uh, nobody knows what's going on. No there. one knows what happens there. Uh, we're surprised to see Jerome Ford play this weekend. He's listed as doubtful already. Uh, Marquise Goodwin. Must have tweaked that ankle a little bit. Uh, Marquise Goodwin is listed as questionable this early in the week as well. Um, David Njoku still listed as questionable from his burns. and uh, We expect him to play, though. He's played the last That about weeks. takes care of the offense and the defense. Again, relatively healthy. The only one that is even listed is Sione uh, Takitaki as uh, questionable. So otherwise, the defense is still in pretty good shape. So with that, um, before we get into our picks for King of the North, uh, Bone Man, we'll start with you. Uh, who is your player to watch in this game? Hmm. All right, I've been thinking about this. I, I, I'm going to go Mark Cooper. I feel like he is the only wide receiver in our team that can get open. Uh, I think <laughs> it's not that, a good trait to have as a team. Well, uh, they just get him the ball. Um, yep. And if it, if it's PJ Walker throwing again, he seems to have a connection with them. You know, one way or another, he's been getting Amari the ball. So um, stick with that early and often. Nice, uh, Kenny. What do you got? Who do you, who do you, who do you got? Um, let's go Juan Thornhill this week. Actually, I just think I almost he's, I almost went with Juan. I just Thornhill. think he's been playing really well of late, but he's kind of been like under the radar because he hasn't been like the top defender. I feel like it's one of these games. He's just like, one more piece of a. Super solid defense. I feel like it's one of those games where, especially against a young quarterback, like he can have a pick six and really change the outcome of the game. Might be able to roam um, a little bit, jump some routes. And even if he doesn't, he'll still have like seven or eight tackles because he's just been like all over the place. That's fair. And I'm going to go with Pierre Strong. Um, it seems like he's been close the last couple of games he to really my number two. to really break in one. Um, I think he starts getting more touches in this. Uh, I saw the last game. It seemed like the coaches were trying to get him involved a little bit more. So I think he, he 
continues to build on that. And he showed flashes. Yeah, and he actually is a threat looks, in the passing game, too. faster. Uh, because, uh, well, f- I don't know if you know, he was the fastest running back in his draft class. He ran yeah. a 4-3-7, I think is what it was. He was super fast. So fast. <clears throat> um, and so I like him to, I, I think he's going to score a big touchdown in this game that's going to kind of maybe ice the game or something along those lines. Uh, or even if it's early, it's like at a point <clears throat> where it's like, okay, we're really running away f- with this thing now. So um, I think Pierre Strong's going to show up in a big way. That's my guy. Uh, but that'll take us to the king of the door. So, in case anyone does not know by now, you need to start watching our show, first of all. Uh, or listening to our show. Uh, but this is our year-long AFC North Pick'em competition. At the end of the season, whoever comes in last place gets punished. In the offseason this past year, uh, Kenny had a gross of eggs thrown at him by fans in the muni lot before a preseason game. Uh, we haven't figured out what the punishment will be this year yet, but we will. Guys, off the top of your heads, you got any more suggestions? Okay, so last week I told you about the uh, fat suit and the milk and the cereal. Yeah, there you go. That was, that was one. Yeah. <laughs> but but instead of Greco-Roman wrestling John Greco, what if we put that same person inside of one of those giant balls? Okay. And then pushed him down a giant hill. Oh, I like this. There's not going to be a road at the bottom, though. Like, nobody's no, going like to hit by a, a car. Like right? a park. Like, uh, you know, good your bunch of park. I like this. Yeah, there's an idea. There's, there's, an, there's an idea. I like drowning it. In a giant, I'm adding it. In a giant ball. Giant ball of cereal. Idea. Giant ball down a hill. You idea. can probably just put all the milk and the cereal in the giant ball. Wow. This is getting crazy. Instead of in a fat suit. It makes for. Uh, it's a human bowl of cereal. It makes for better viewing, <laughs> I guess. Uh, Bone Man, you got anything? I was. Uh, how about we recreate Senior Hit Day for the loser? Ooh. Oh, that actually sounds good. We're gonna be. Uh, we're gonna feel like we've been hit by a truck for a week and a half. Though. Are we gonna find somebody to actually hit us, or are we gonna hit each other? We're just gonna hit uh, each other. Yeah, we're gonna hit each other. Uh, so you get hit twice. Um, so yeah. So how this works is you just you get picked by somebody. At least this is how it was when we were like freshman and sophomore, and a senior just picked. This you doesn't exist anymore. It's not in schools. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, this was literally in like 2006. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm in, especially because if anyone doesn't recall, uh, Coach Farino, if you're listening, uh, you took away our senior hit day, senior year. So uh, was, I'm still mad about it. That and you not letting me be Comanche. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, But anyways, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll figure out what the punishment is. We'll let you guys know as soon as we know. But let's get into this thing. Uh, first things first, I want to remind everybody that I am still the reigning, defending king of the north. But you're not even in first place anymore. Let me get there. In an absolutely shocking turn of events, Kenny is no longer in last place. Uh, Well, he's not alone anyways. I am right now right there with him. Um, Because in case anyone, again, has not been paying attention, we've added our trusty board op bone man to the competition this year, and he has proceeded to take the lead in the standings. And he's picking our ass. He's yeah, yeah, I'm going to yeah. continue to pick it. See what, yeah. see what I said there? Yeah, I see it. Okay, so let's remind everybody what the current records are before we pick. Uh, Kenny and I both stand at 11 and 13. We're trying to get back to 500 there. Uh, but Bone Man's done it. He's 12 and 12. Uh, and so, like you guys said, picking our ass. Uh, but let's get into this week's matchups. Uh, Pittsburgh and, and their own picket over there uh, gets the Thursday night game this week against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, let's start with Kenny. Kenny, who do you got? Um, Pickett is Kenny Pickett is hurt, and uh, probably Trubisky is to start. Short week for these guys. Um, and Will Levis coming off a big win. I'm going to go with the most interesting man in football, Tennessee Titans, to win. 
on Thursday night. Nice. I am also going with the Tennessee Titans. You mentioned uh, Pickett being hurt. I also want to throw in there that Minka Fitzpatrick is hurt. Uh, so the best player on their defense besides T.J. Watt. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I will say this, though. It was a tough choice for me because T.J. Watt can wreck uh, especially rookie quarterbacks by himself. Sure. Um, and they still have Mike Tomlin, who's one of the best coaches in, in football. So no it was, uh, a tough pick for me, but I'm going with the Titans as well. Bone Man, who you got? Yeah, I'm going Titans as well. They still got Derrick Henry. They still got Derrick Henry. Yeah, uh, Steelers are a little banged up like the Titans. Fair. So uh, next up here, we have the Ravens playing host to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, I'll go ahead and start this one. I've got the Ravens in this game. It was another tough pick, actually. Uh, the Seahawks are playing fair, pretty well as of late. Um, Geno Smith continues to have a decent season. Um, but in, in the Ravens, I'll be honest with you, it's weird because they don't really have a lot to write home about besides their quarterback. Besides Lamar Jackson, I mean, besides what, what do you have over there that you're like getting excited about? I don't know, but they continue to win games. And for I, just because they're the home team, I'm going with the Ravens in this one. Uh, and I think they win again, which sucks because I want them to lose so that we can get back into the division race. Kenny, who you got? Oh man, um, This is, this is in Baltimore, this game? Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go Seahawks. Um, this team clearly, That's what I said. This was a tough one to pick. This team clearly just beat us. I think we're a better matchup than the Browns. Than, uh, we're a better matchup than the Ravens are. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just think that there's not a lot. Outside of Lamar going on over there right now in their their defense, but I think Gino can play with them because he played with us. Fair, Bowman. Who you got? Uh, I'm going to go Ravens just simply because they're home. Yep, that was kind of. I mean, that was the the tipping point for me too. Was I I had them basically dead even, and I was like, but the Ravens are home, so I guess I'll go with them. Um, next up here, though, uh, Cincinnati hosts the Sunday night game against the Bills. A- another tough matchup here. Mm-hmm. Um, the Bengals have played very well of late. So, Bone Man, I'll let you go ahead and, and start this one off, though. I'm going Bills. I think uh, Josh Allen will have a big night, and uh, I really want to see Cincinnati lose. Fair. Kenny, what do you got? Um, what was the poor kid that had the cardiac arrest last year in the field? You have his jersey, man. And I can't think of his name right now. I'm sick. <laughs> What's his name? Uh, uh, Demar Hamlin. Demar Hamlin. I think this is an emotional game uh, for both teams because of That's that. That's who was playing. They were playing on Sunday night, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, yeah, it was a primetime game that uh, might have been Monday night. I think, I think it was Monday night, and uh, so I think that weighs heavy on all these guys. And I think that the Bills win this game because it's one of those like win one for the Gipper moments. Okay, I like that. Again, this was kind of a coin toss for me, um, but the fact that Cincinnati's playing at home and the fact that Joe Burrow finally looks like Joe Burrow again. He looks like that calf has completely healed. I don't know if you saw him get out of the the play this past weekend where he got out of the sack like three times in one play and then threw a uh, dart for a first down, but it was wild. I get out of the sack every night, and I'm not supposed to. Okay, well, uh, with all that being said, I'm going to take the Bengals in this one, so I differ from you guys. A few. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which will lead to the Cleveland Browns playing host to the Arizona Cardinals. Um, I will go ahead and take this one first. Uh, look, Arizona's really bad. <laughs> They're not a good team. 
nobody knows who their quarterback's going to be. Even if it's uh, Kyler Murray, I don't even know that that's an upgrade. I don't. First of all, I don't think Kyler Murray's a very good quarterback at all. Um, and second, he's coming off a huge injury, so who knows what he's going to do? He's just now getting back with the team and taking first team reps. So uh, I got Cleveland winning it pretty easy, twenty four to ten. Uh, Bowman, who do you got? I uh, also got Cleveland, and um, I just feel like we're the better team. I, I, I really feel like our defense is going to show up big this yeah. week, and uh, I'm going to go back to teams not scoring touchdowns against us. So I'm going to go Cleveland 17, uh, Arizona 6. I like no it. Way. Two field goals there, not a missed extra point. Is that, is that your score, Kenny? Um, I also have Cleveland 17 6. Um, <laughs> so our tiebreaker does nothing. Not we that did the tiebreaker actually does anything. I, we've never really talked about that on King of the North. We give scores, they don't mean anything. This is King of the North where the points don't matter and the scores are made up. I don't know. But um, yeah, I mean, that was, that was my score going in. So um, yeah, I just feel like this offense with Clayton Tune or Josh Dobbs is no match for um, the Browns defense. And if Kyler plays, Kyler has not played football in like two years. He's kind of got like the Deshaun Watson thing going on. So I don't see that offense scoring a lot of points. I also don't see our offense scoring a lot of points. So I wouldn't also be surprised if it was like a 12-6 game. But to make the math work, I'm going to go with the easy math and do 17-6. Fair. So that's our our picks for this week. We'll see how this thing shakes out. Hopefully I'm back on top next week. But that will take us to the Burning River Sportscast Hot Take Hotline. Don't forget to call and leave your hot takes on the Hot Take Hotline. Remember, these are hot takes. We want hot takes. We want hot takes. We want hot takes. 330-227-8080. 330-227-8080. Call now. Operators are not standing by. Gosh, I just want to let Bone Man do this every single time. I love it. Uh, this is great. It's just so much better when he does it. I just sit here and I'm amazed by his radio voice. Uh, but don't forget to check out our gear. That's at www.thetappinmedia.com backslash shop. Click show specific. Click Burning River Sportscast. And there's all our shit. Um, but that'll do it for us. Kenny, what can we expect next week? What can we expect next week? Hopefully I'm feeling a lot better as the first most important thing so that y'all can actually hear me next week. Uh, but we you will sound like a bitch. Uh, recap the game against the Cardinals in which we will probably play down to and find a way to lose to. Um, and then we will preview a huge Browns Week 10 matchup against arch rival and the most hated Baltimore Ravens, the original Browns. Um, and then we will also pick up another interview with a Browns backers chapter. I'm even surprised that Baltimore has Browns backers chapters out there because that place. It's kind of, it's kind of like uh, Pittsburgh. It's tough sledding out there. But, yeah, but, but I found right. one. I found one. Well, hopefully they like come, uh, you know, pack and heat. Cause yeah, that's, that's the Browns backers <laughs> of Baltimore City in case anyone was wondering. Yeah, that could get ugly. Uh, and then uh, another interview with that, another Browns alumni who will be joining us on a fan cruise in March of 2024, Mr. Ben Davis. That's going to be a good one. Uh, and don't forget to check us out on social media. Tapping Media is on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Tapping Media. Burning River Sportscast, that's this podcast, is on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Burning River Sportscast, and on X at Burning River Pod. And you can find our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm talking Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Podcast, Cash Roll, Good Pods, and so many more. Do you know what? Uh, take this too, Kenny. <laughs> uh, facts for days. Facts for days. I know. I should just let Zach do the sex for days. Nice. Um, 
you got for me, man? Facts for days. Number yeah, I want to. I want to know what you got. Uh, we're going to talk about animal husbandry this week. Oh, uh, one of my favorite yeah. topics. The horned lizard Ooh. is able to shoot blood from <laughs> its own eyes up to a distance of three feet away. But why? This rather bizarre and disgusting <laughs> act is a defense mechanism to confuse predators. I would be confused. I would be damn confused. Their blood also contains <laughs> Why a did this chemical. thing just explode at me? Their blood contains a chemical that is noxious to predators. Uh, for those who aren't paying attention, that's, that's poisonous. Um, and this isn't its only trick. Short horned oh, lizards are more. also capable of inflating their bodies up to twice their size to scare something else away. Incredible. You know who else is noxious? You. You're noxious. Thank you. Number two. <laughs> roosters. <laughs> roosters, y'all yeah, hate roosters. You know, they go, ah, in the morning. Always waking, waking people up. up. Yeah. You know who they don't wake up? People. Themselves. Oh. Roosters prevent themselves from going deaf due to their own loud crowing. By tilting their head backs when they crow, it covers their ear canal completely. Dicks. They wake everyone up, and they don't wake <laughs> themselves up because they're like, I don't ever hear this shit. Uh, Unbelievable. You mean to tell me that God made roosters? With a built-in earplug. With built-in earplug. Yeah, that's fucking... Yeah, that's cool. What, who's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Bo Man, who's God messing with with this one? I want to know. Uh, it's just sound design. It just speaks to intelligence. Fair. The yeah. average rooster crows at around 100 decibels, which is roughly the same as a running chainsaw. I and hate, they I don't got to hear it. I hate roosters. Number three. Number three. A single cow. One single cow. Poos. Ew. Not moose. <laughs> poos up to 15 times a day. Ew. I Disgusting. <laughs> Damn. I didn't realize they poos so many times a day, which can Sick. be as much as 115 pounds of manure per day or approximately 21 tons per year. So much global warming. Uh, yes, there there is a lot of um, methane produced, but uh, they often do put large quantities of, of poo to good use. Uh, they use it to fertilize or, or make biofuels, biograss. Biograss, biogas to create electricity and heat for developing parts of the world. So sometimes poo wow. is not all bad. Uh, poo sounds like part of the problem. It is a part of the problem. If you're going to be a part of the problem, don't just be a part of the problem. Just be the whole damn problem. And only you <laughs> can prevent river fires. Burning, burning river sportscast. Burning river. Burning, burning river sportscast. Oh, hell yeah. Burning river. Burning river. Burning river. Burning river. What song was I singing earlier so we could sing ourselves out? Burning river. What song? These eyes. These eyes. I have seen but I never gonna see another one like I had with you. These eyes. That was harmony. You guys hit <laughs> I'm not going to be able to talk tomorrow. Oh, man. Burning River. Burning River Sportscast. Browns fan crews and the Burning River Sportscast. What better combination could you possibly think of? Motorboat. You play the motorboat. You motorboat, son of a bitch. You old sailor, you. You know what I was thinking during that interview? What? What were you thinking? Nothing because you don't have thoughts because you're a brainless idiot. Wow. My name is Uhtred, son of Uhtred. But I think at the end of the day, football is America's sport. At the end of the day, we will always have, you know, kids that want to come out and play at all different levels. And now they even have more things that you can do. It By the way, I want my foreskin back. <laughs> Listen, you can touch me all the time. 
I think it was the Rocky Horror Picture Show that she said, touch me, touch me, touch me. Uh, so yeah, that's basically, I'm going to get a shirt that says, touch me. Yeah, it might, might not. It's not gonna say "feel me." It's gonna just say "touch me." The other one, the finger, the finger eating food fingers. Browns fans are everywhere, and you know they are the best fans in football. And I think what's gonna happen is we continue to win as an organization, which I think this year we're gonna keep that momentum. Everybody around this globe, everybody around the nation, other teams are gonna finally see. Because you know you're gonna start paying attention to teams that are winning, and I think when the Browns start winning consistently. Everyone's going to see the kind of fans that we really have. And the only people that really know are the opposing players that come in our stadium because they always have told me, man, what a blessing it is for you to play here because these fans are outstanding. The weather outside is weather. Uh, All I do is win, 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 no matter what. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? Erroneous. Erroneous on both counts. Wow. But damn. The leaves are weak. The leaves are weak. Fucking leaves are weak. You're weak. I've been in this business 15 years. What's your name? You. That's my name. You know why, mister? Because you drove a Hyundai to get here tonight. I drove an $80,000 BMW. That's my name. Where's Logo Girl when you need her? I desperately want to make love to her. We need Cheese Girl now. Oh, man. We need Cheese Girl now. We need Cheese Girl now. We need Cheese Girl now. Who's canceled now? Who's canceled now? Probably me. You making fun of fat people? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. Just you. We're a whole race, basically. (laughs) Down goes Anderson! Down goes Anderson! No way! You just straight, just finger bang their salad. (laughs) You first get shocked, and then you get the shocker. (laughs) You like to see homos naked? That's cool, man. Whatever. No, 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 no. Today's episode was brought to you by Topath Rum. Topath Rum, silver rum made from the highest grade molasses. Distilled three times in a copper pot still, this rum is designed to be the backbone of a great cocktail. So good you can drink it by itself. Available locally in Northeast Ohio and online in 44 states. Topath Rum. Hey, Browns fans. This is your chance to join the company of some of the Browns' all-time greats on the first-ever Browns fan cruise. Picture this. For five unforgettable days, you're sailing across the beautiful Caribbean Sea, reliving the Browns' greatest moments, getting autographs, snapping photos, and celebrating on the beach with your favorite Browns alumni, like Josh Cribbs, Webster Slaughter, Eric Metcalf, and a dozen others. Book now and take advantage of our easy, budget-friendly payment plans on this once-in-a-lifetime, all-inclusive cruise adventure. The clock's ticking, Browns fans. To book your cabin and for more information, visit brownsfancruise.com or call 216-284-6472 today. Browns Fan Cruise, where diehard fans and Browns alumni come together for the trip of a lifetime. Don't wait. Secure your spot today and go Browns!